0: Welcome to the Liverpool FA podcast. Our aim is to provide regular insight from a variety of experts to help you in your own football journey. We'll do it through interviews, roundtable discussions, and by linking to other resources to help support you. For more information about each episode, just tap the album art, which will provide you with more about our guests and links to further content. Hello, and welcome. In this episode, we welcome in Graham Carrick. Graham has worked at the Football Association for 12 years now, previously as a skills coach and currently as a regional coach mentor for the Northeastern Yorkshire. Significantly, in the last two years, Graham has been leading on the England DNA youth development phase and is about to release that content and start touring the country with a series of CPD workshops for grassroots coaches around the country. Graham was previously a professional footballer for West Ham, an academy coach for Newcastle United, and is currently on the board of trustees at the Michael Carrick Foundation. This is a long one. Graham and I really get into the depths of his work and his experiences in the youth development phase. So if you're a coach working in 12 to 16s, this one might really be for you. In local news, Liverpool FA just announced the Grassroots Football Award winners, so congratulations to all the winners there. There are some places available on the Coaching Disabled Footballers course, which is to be hosted at Liverpool County FA on Thursday, the 8th of August. If that interests you, there's information on that at liverpoolfa.com on the homepage. So enjoy this one with Graeme Carrick. Good, good, right. right yeah. let's crack on graham carrick welcome to liverpool thank you good to have you on board uh it's probably uh the warmest welcome that you've ever had in this city or is it <laughs> <thought>. <laughs> yeah, probably yeah. <laughs> the last time you were here you made the national press was that right what was that the, the, um... at the anfield road, the anfield road, and, road and with, with yeah, your hood up,
1: yeah, with hood up there, so next good, brother.
0: Yeah. <laughs> bit of a warm welcome today anyway and um when uh, when you gave us a shout the other day, I thought what better way to spend a Thursday afternoon than getting you round here and chatting about football and coaching and youth development for a couple of hours. So thanks for thanks for the invite.
1: Thanks for having me, especially in the, in, in the bunker. Finally made it into there. <laughs> <laughs> Honored to have you.
0: Um, and there are, we, we, I think the plan of attack today is we're going to talk about. Um, specifically youth development and the england dna youth development phase what you know your role in that but for those who don't know yet if just give us a kind of quick intro who you are what you do in the day job and beyond
1: cool um yeah graham carrick i've worked at the fa for 12 years now which is scary gold watch um yeah i wish um yeah i've sort of got two roles at the moment so day job i guess is as a regional coach mentor and then office in Yorkshire, so that is um, managing a team of mentors across across the region who go into work with grassroots uh, clubs and coaches to support them. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that five years, and about eighteen months ago, two years ago, got asked to lead the youth development phase DNA project, which is to lead on, follow on from uh, Pete Stages' work and the foundation phase, and connect with the national teams. Just around some of our um, at the FA, some of our beliefs and considerations around coaching in this age phase. Um, so, sort of been doing two roles really for two in one. For, yeah, for a couple of years, um, which is great. So, um, hopefully, you've got a decent grasp of grassroots football in terms of coaching grassroots, playing grassroots, um, and over the last twelve years, worked primarily in grassroots football in, in different ways, in different settings, and in different roles. Um, so yeah I guess that's um out of, out of football I coach, I coach out, of, out of the day job a coach you still doing uh, the university team yeah coach Durham Uni uh, when I can get there when I can balance at work so um yeah dip into local grassroots club and, and do bits and bobs around it as we do um, as well <laughs> as trying to have a life out of football <laughs> as well what is that what is that yeah um but yeah so now I just obviously love the game love coaching um Love trying to help coaches, um, so yeah, it's not a job really, is it? It's no. it's a passion. So really fortunate to be in a position to be able to do it.
0: Good, good, and we I know we've been threatening to do this conversation for a couple of years now, haven't we? So it's nice to finally um, bring it all together. And there are there's two big events going on in Liverpool tonight. There is take that at Anfield, and then there's Pete Sturgis at Liverpool County FA. <laughs> so we've waved take that. <laughs>
1: You've definitely got the wrong
0: start, <laughs> To go and see Pete and uh, terrible planning on our behalf because we've organised it on the same night as England play in the Nations League semi-final, but hopefully catch the second half. So you went to see Pete last night in Lanks. Yeah. Lank's that's right. And yeah. Pete is coming to Liverpool tonight to deliver his part two of his roadshow. He's probably clocked enough miles to circumnavigate the world by now.
1: Yeah. Um, he's definitely making it harder for me to follow that
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what's what's in st- what uh, what did you see last night what have we got in store for tonight because I know we're both going to go along and there's, I think there's a fairly packed house yeah. coming tonight
1: um, what did we see last night seeing Pete weave his magic with children in sport and football um, I don't want to steal too much of his thunder for tonight but I guess the importance of Working with children in a, a way which is most appropriate to them at the stage they're at and the age they're at, and connecting with, connecting to them and with them um, in a way that the experience they get is what is what they need to develop a real love of the ball of mm-hmm. the game, um, and the importance of the environment around that is is crucial. And P- Peter Master that oh. really is. Um, I
0: haven't seen many coaches in my life that have it's. I, I describe it as a magnetism,
1: yeah.
0: when to people that haven't seen him work before. He's this, he's infectious, um, and he has just this way about him that uh, it's almost hy- hypnotic. It's yeah. a joy. It's an absolute, like you say, a master of his craft, and it's a joy to watch. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing him work again tonight. It's you know, quite, I never get tired it's of quite it. Quite
1: ironic, um, in a way. We talking about when I started. I joined the F.A. as a skills coach back in 2007. And Pete actually did my interview. Right. So he was on the panel and the practical element of that interview. So that was the first time I I met Pete. Um, and even then, at the interview, I was almost embarrassed because um, I was meant to be coaching the kids, and he had a better connection with the kids, even though he was <laughs> miles away <laughs> and there to observe me cold. Um, and he knew the kids' names before me, and, and he had a. Um, obviously, I was real. I was a real novice at that point. And just starting out myself really as a coach on reflection but um, even that seeing Pete's connection with the kids that day 12 years ago when he wasn't actually even coaching um, was just amazing and then he's been one of the biggest influences on me since that point likewise I've been, being really fortunate to see him obviously seen him last night but I've probably seen him a hundred times likewise yeah he always um, pick up
0: something new I
1: always pick up something new and just see, seeing um, that it's not a one-off so you see him in, I've seen him in different settings with different uh, groups of kids different ages of kids and um, yeah I've seen him in the school environment I've seen him in grassroots clubs I've seen him last night do with coach education I've seen him in the Advanced Youth Award with academy players um, and there's some things specific to the kids that he coaches and specific to the setting that he coaches in mm. but then there's some transferable good principles that just work because he, regardless of what setting he's coaching in he working with kids Um, And all the kids are different, but so what would those principles be then? I think just the idea of understanding where they're at as kids, who who are they as kids, working from that point first. um, What types of things might they want from the experience? What makes it a memorable experience for the kids? The importance of connection and all the things to create to really subtly, sometimes subtly, sometimes obviously, but sometimes subtly create an environment for learning and for enjoyment. and then carefully craft and, and drip um, the technical detail, if you want to call it, mm-hmm. into that environment. Sometimes it's quite hidden, so it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a lot of stop, stand still, and that type of, of um It's not as obvious to see, but it's always in there. And that, so there's this is thing of understanding them as kids, but also as, as young people, and just developing them and creating an environment that the kids can just thrive. And um, So, yeah, there's so much in that. And like I say, rather, whether the Playing football for the first time or the, in an academy, and they've um, relatively experienced that age and they've had a lot of football experiences at by the age of 10 or 11, then yeah, there's some transferable things, like you said, ar- around that.
0: There's something you, you said before about just the names. I've never seen anybody, and well, Ben Bartlett is also a master at it, but just working with a brand new group and instantly knowing. Fourteen children's names and using it, and I remember working in, you know, as many of us did, coaching out in the states on the camps, and I got quite good at it out there because you had to, because you have to, yeah. Yeah, But then I guess I've, I've slipped on that, but he's 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 a real master of that, and you can see the response that he gets back from the children, you know, because it's their identity, isn't it? It's like, oh, and and I think you know, you could easily toss it off and flippantly is, oh, it's it, it's just learning people's names but it, it means a lot more yeah, than and that to the and, kids. It is,
1: and it is more than that yeah it's with, a lot with, more yeah with Pete and I think the two things that really stand out um, are he's got such a care for working with the kids and and he's getting to know the kids to get to know them and, and so that he can help them and help them improve and, and make them feel comfortable around him and there's a there's such a degree of care for all the kids who he coaches Um and It's really authentic, um, and it's there every time. Um, but and that couple with a real sort of belief in the kids and what the kids are capable of, yeah, and all that together, um, and getting to know the names are part of that, and it's a it's a really important part of that to connect with the kids. Um, but it's all important to getting to know them to help to help sort of set them free, and help help um, help them explore and do things that they. And often when you see by the end of Pete's sessions, as was the case last night. The kids are doing things that they haven't done before, that the coaches haven't seen the kids do before, um, and that even if you see them, some people might not think it would be possible when you see them at the start. But just with a, with some careful and um, yeah, good coaching, the transformation of the kids is, is huge.
0: You yeah, I saw something that you, you put on Twitter last night about or was it something around making the kids believe in themselves yeah. or believe that you know w- yeah. what in what's possible.
1: Yeah, making them reframing that. Yeah, reframe what, what, what it, it. what they see is possible. Um, There's some concrete examples I night of just by um, encouraging, I guess, and challenging the kids to to think differently and behave differently in terms of as kids, but also football wise in terms of staying on the ball to try and uh, be more positive of that word and, and to be more more exciting with the ball. All of a sudden, the possibilities change so it's not a case of just throwing a ball in letting the kids go and, and work it all out that is part of it but it's also guiding them mm. and almost pushing them in the direction that they're capable of more if, if we're nudging them in the right way at the right time um, was there any specific exam- examples last night then that stick out That yeah so there's a boy called Harry who was um, at the start um, he was doing fine he was doing, he was doing well in the group but um, he was just releasing the ball. Um probably too early, if you like. Maybe he wouldn't think that at the time, but then through encouragement to stay on the ball and turn and, and, and find ways to, to, to play forward and stay on the ball to to sort of progress forward, all of a sudden the possibilities for him changed. So he was beating players, he was receiving and turning, and all of a sudden he's breaking lines and he's he's setting goals up and scoring goals. So just by the encouragement and the um, the coaching around how to do it, when to do it, um, and setting them free to try and experiment with it, all of a sudden, just so he was already doing really well in the session, but it just went to sort of a new a new level in terms mm-hmm. of the possibilities and things that had led to. So by staying on the ball a bit longer and by taking players out of the game, then the pictures, then the next decisions. Change and we're better. So you're setting goals up where, at first he was getting it staying a little bit and then releasing it backwards. So, um, so just by the way Pete framed it and through the session, just gradually. And then what were they under tens? I'm not sure. Yeah, probably. I'm not sure the actual age, but nines, tens, nines, tens. Yeah. And
0: so you, you said staying on the ball there, and that's something. Do you think that that is something that culturally in this country we're still a bit hesitant to encourage?
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think it's crucial. But what's important is is that we understand the reasoning behind it. So staying on the ball is is a phrase which um, Pete uses a lot, and it's still important all the way through the pathway. It's still important in the twelve to sixteen age group, Um, and what what's really we're not trying to just develop ball greedy players or, or just dribblers what we are trying to say especially in the foundation phase first is for kids to explore the possibilities and, and have the chance to practice in different ways and um, give them the sort of help arm them with the skill set to be able to stay on the ball so it might be that they dribble to beat somebody it might be the dribble um, away from pressure it might be that they stay on the ball whilst they're under pressure but are, the whole idea really for me is that you can control the situation that the kids can be in control of the situation when the ball comes and they're on the ball, they play the game on their terms. So even if they've got pressure, then that's fine. They can just either go through the pressure or play or move away from the pressure. Um, but it's about playing on their terms and not just being anxious. So the ball comes and got to get rid of it. Um, so it's not just about dribbling. But even if they go and then pass and share the ball with a teammate. Then they do it on their terms, so the timing's right, and it's not because they've got to get anxious and they've got to get rid of it. So by staying on the ball, it helps them if they if they've got the capability of staying on the ball and they've got the skill set. Um, then, as they get better at the attention, the the, the the attention span can sort of look to look wider and and the better place to then share share the ball uh, with the teammates. Yeah, and that's the kind of counterintuitive
0: nature of it is that. From my experience, and uh, you know, certainly been guilty of this, previous in you know, f- previous teams and players that I've coached is there's this rush to produce passing football, yeah, and especially at, at the young age. But actually, if you if you want that football, you're going to have to make sure that they're comfortable individually on the ball and they can stay on the ball yeah. in the first place. Yeah. So we're almost putting the cart before the horse.
1: Yeah, and it's just about so so the kids can make better choices not just in terms of what pass but when to play the pass when to release the ball Um, so if we've got a 2v1 it might be that the best decision is to try and draw the defender towards them and pass to the teammate but if the pass are too early then it'll either get cut out or the the receiving player won't be in a position to beat the defender Or or the player on the
0: ball potentially has lost that opportunity to Make that decision.
1: Yeah. So by st- maybe by staying on the ball, you suck the the defender rewards you to then release the pass at a better time. So it's it's not saying it's it's almost part of, it's almost part of the same. It's not like you know, we see sometimes as all these things are separate. But by being in control, then you can make better decisions. And, and, and one of the key things around making decisions is timing. Um, so if you're going to play a pass to a teammate, timing is crucial. It's one of the fundamental things, and it's really hard to get right. Timing of what? Timing of the pass. So that you don't play it too soon. So if you just get the ball and you and you and you just get rid of it, um it might not be the the, the timing of that might not be right. So you might stay on the ball to um, to like you say, you might wait for a defender to move and then play the pass and it takes the defender out of the game where if you just pass it, pass it, pass it the defenders don't move, no one moves. Um, you don't actually penetrate or break any lines well actually you might just stay on the ball and it might be that you don't beat anyone but you might just stay on the ball for a bit and, and the picture might change so then if as a defender comes um, or you might there's, there's, there's so many different um, it gives you so many different possibilities if, if you can stay on the ball then you can choose when to release it and it might be actually that you release it quickly because it's the it's the right thing for that situation but it's not because you're scared and you're anxious and, and you just want to feel you've got to get rid of it so you sort of got to just get rid of the ball um, so by having the skills to stay on the ball it's always in relation to this the situation that's why um, practising in small side of games is really important mm.
0: but it takes a brave coach to encourage this to the, your players to stay on the ball right?
1: yeah well there might be, there'll, be, there'll be some mistakes and they'll get it wrong at times um,
0: at time, yeah I mean
1: <laughs> a lot of the time so yeah it's, I guess brave but in some yeah I, I agree with what you're saying but sometimes it's it's, it's not brave I just think if we're not doing that what are we doing well, what are we doing and, and I get it. sometimes it might be if the, if the kids are just learning it it might be that especially matches you don't ask them to do it all the time and you gradually help build them up build it up um, it's just not a case of um, exposing kids so they can't have success but it's just trying to think about reframing it so people don't see possess what we want them to see is possession being a, a positive thing that they enjoy having the ball and they can do some with the ball when they've got it um and try to help them do more with the ball and, and make better choices or uh, give them more possibilities to make choices as they get older and grown um regardless what system they'll play in or what position they'll play um that they've got this sort of ground and that they can control the situation by being comfortable with the ball.
0: Mm, and there's a difference between being comfortable in the ball in a in my own area, dribbling in and out of some cones, than being uncomfortable on the ball when the ball's under threat. Yeah, absolutely. When I've yeah. when I've got to take you know a, a physical load from another player, yeah. I've got to manipulate the ball and the body in different ways to to look after that thing.
1: Yeah and sometimes people question staying on the ball idea in the foundation phase because they say it takes away some decision making but there's some decision there's some real decision making in that in terms of people talk tonight around when to hide the ball when to manoeuvre the ball when to reveal the ball and that sometimes you can't dictate that the defender depending on the pressure that for the kids that's just, they've got to deal with whatever comes but some, sometimes they'll be able to di- di- dictate that themselves mm. um and ideally, what you want them to do is to be able to reveal the ball in a way that they can then um, be positive in attacking and take players out of the game. But it might be that they have to hide the ball away for the right moment to then share it, or, or to or to the, they might have to hide the ball for a bit until the moment's right to reveal it. So it's just arm them with those sort of skills, and there's some decisions around that, and are around the individual moments um, when and whether if they're on the ball, if they can turn and face face. The defender up. Um, yeah, so there's lots in it. Um, mm. But if we only do that against cones, then you, you don't get the chance to, to get a feel for that. And the other thing that kids will have, they'll have their own individual tendencies, of course, um, and they'll have a different relationship with the ball, I guess, in the game. So some will be more comfortable with physical contact and hide the ball more and shield it and roll defenders, others will want. To try and get away from the defenders, to find little pockets of space, especially as they grow. Um, so, yeah, we just need to help the kids find what's right for them and, the, and their, their way, if you like, their model for them, mm. um, and not expect every kid to, to do it the same or have the same model for everyone. No. Because um, there'll be different personalities, they'll also have different biomechanics. The, the, there's, there's lots of differences, everyone will be different slightly. So, it's about helping them explore some of that themselves. Um, but even some of the best passers, people like Pearl or Busquets, um, your brother, yeah, Michael wasn't too bad. But what you <laughs> what they have, what they've got is, we get labelled as a passer, but there's lots of things that go into being being a good passer. Part of it is being comfortable that if the passes are not on, that they can turn out and go a different way, or if they are getting pressure, they can still take the ball. So if they're playing in international football that if they are marked they can take the ball and if they might need to stay on the ball for a bit or they might need to um, they might be facing the play as a deep midfielder and the, the, pa- it's not, the pass isn't on so they might just need to stay on the ball until the pass is on um, and not have that anxiety to just see a pass and play it and get it back and pass, pass, pass um, there's always a purpose and a reason behind the pass so those skills are still as important for passes as they are for dribblers it's just a real fundamental um, build and block i guess um, to help prepare the players for whatever position and wherever they're going to go with their sort of future journey i guess and it's still really important in the 12 to 16 age yeah
0: i agree and I, and I think that you know we're all products of our own experiences and it, i think we've still got work to do to change the conversation around you know what is the priority for young developing grassroots players do we want to um push them into this kind of pass 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 space model which for all you know tv and, and spanish football and being exposed to the likes of the barcelona yeah. teams over the last 10 years yeah. it is fantastic to watch it, yeah. it's not children's football and we also should i guess appreciate the the journey that those players have come through which dare i say has probably had a real priority on Looking after the ball as an yeah, individual first,
1: totally, and also some of that when we talk about the like we see passing teams, for to Javi, they can deal with pressure when it comes themselves. So it might be the pass, and when they do pass, there's a reason. There's some timing, so it might be that the sucker defender in, and then play the pass to take you out of the game. So although although when we see think passing teams, then there's always, there's always going to be elements of of of. Um, them as individual being being in control of that situation and being able to stay on the ball and whatever that means to them. Um, so it's yeah, it's, it's it's. I think one of the challenges is that we, it's it's really a, it's sort of dangerous to try and rush kids to to the end product too soon. One of the things in the foundation phase is kids are going to be fascinated with the ball. The fact they've got quite a selfish model of the world, quite in it. The the they're their own sort of their own reference is, is what means the most to them. Mm. So the fact they'll be fascinated with the ball in their own personal space, that's the stage they're at as kids. Um, so it's a great it's a great opportunity to really really get um, and develop the staying on the ball skills at that time. Knowing that as they get older, we want to then um, help them keep developing that, but also then make choices when they're ready to around. When and how to pass the ball, or share the ball, um, or finish, or whatever that might lead to. So um, it's absolutely sort of plant the seeds. That's going to be important for them to deal with any situation when it, the end up playing football, whatever position. So it's, yeah, it's, it's it's it gives them the chance to play passing football and, and possession football. We we'll see because often we see possession when we talk about keeping possession. People think of passing. Yeah. And it's like we say, we're not saying passes bad. Passing is a really important part of the game, but it's what well, we need. To, even the passing, so we sort of need to reframe that. Where it's not the, it's not about getting rid of the ball. It's about putting your teammate in a better position. Um, and a good pass is a pass that gets there one, but um, allows your teammate to do um, the optimal sort of thing with the ball. So, um, how much you see when when we do help them really? Try to understand passing The appreciation of passes The weight of pass The timing of the pass Where you play the pass to um, They're the things that That's a sort of level of care That we want the kids to have with the ball And that's yeah. bit, that comes from Firstly having some real good individual skills Well, I've lost count of the amount of times I've had a conversation with a,
0: a well-meaning Often dad, coach or parent And it's gone They just won't pass They won't pass the ball They like, oh, How old are they? Under sevens and it's like, okay, what's their favourite toy? What? What's it? Well, what? Tell me what their favourite toy is. Okay, do they share that toy? No. Well, and that's the best analogy I can come up with. Yeah. You know that 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 football and that that time that that they've got at, at football might be the best best time in their week. Yeah. And come hell or high water, the last thing that they want to do is is give that. Give that ball away, give it yeah. to somebody else. Why would I do that when I can yeah, keep it for absolutely. myself? So we we've got to, uh, I guess, break out of the 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 adult model and uh, and understand, you know, why they're there and and you know how much they they love having that thing at their feet.
1: Yeah, and also like you said about um, where they're at as kids, and I think there's a couple of th- couple of other things just to mention around that is, saying like creating space. Um, if you work working especially at the start of the foundation phase the early stage of the foundation phase then they're probably going to follow the ball quite a lot there might be some that, that start understanding space a little bit but space to them is um, it's a pretty abstract sort of concept um, so we can't expect them to have that we can't expect them to take up great positions Oh, some will be ready for it and we're going to help them then understand um, where they might go for it or how they might stand to give them if, to give themselves a better opportunity when the ball comes, um, but we can't rush. We shouldn't rush that. We don't need to rush that. They'll be fascinated with the ball, so we'll help them take the opportunity, and yeah. help them develop that. And I think the other thing is just around understanding the kids and where they're at at that age is. If you ask a kid, um, ask my niece or nephew at that age when they're playing, you say how did, how was football today? They'll, they'll tell you how they did. How, yeah, and they'll tell you some of the things. That, oh, I've I've I scored. I scored. I, I cleared off the line. I made a good save often when you ask kids of say fourteen, fifteen, how do you do today They'll, they'll tell you how the team did. I'm finding that, in they'll in, tell you in, how yeah. we we played well. We did this. The sort of that's sort of a bit of a gauge. Again, it's, we're talking generalisations. A bit of a gauge where the, their reference is very much themselves in the foundation phase, themselves in their own world. And a lot of that, a lot of time, that might be in imaginary worlds mm-hmm. and they create themselves. The, the, and we should encourage that. It's, it's that age. It's, it's such a magical time for the kids. Um, but then we understand as they get, as they start getting older and they um, and they go through puberty and this and, and the brain develops and they develop and they mature and across all four corners that um, the 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 reference becomes wider the the peer group becomes really important they see themselves a lot more in relation to others that the, the um, team becomes really important how they're perceived mm-hmm. by others, mm-hmm. um, so yeah they the. They, but obviously they change um, but also because of the way they change then they're ready to understand space and ready to understand their role in the team they're ready to start understanding how to share the ball have that empathy um, not just on a personal level but on like a football mm. level of knowing what the teammate might want understanding each other's strengths uh, but I've got to play with this winger that's quick so I can play the one in the space for that player but the, the left winger is technical but not as fast so I need to try and play the ball with that, um, his or her feet
0: yeah so i'm then, finding that now at uh, under 15s which which are our, our team are the majority now are displaying those behaviors that, that you're seeing whereas under four you know we're a team generally of late birthdays late late yeah. physical developers but i've noticed a real sea change in the last sort of six months of that appreciation for team before self yeah, and it's it's really nice to see actually. Yeah. yeah, it's really refreshing.
1: And we're not saying that in foundation phase that being a good teammate is not important. It is just understand what that means. Um, so there's was a great example last night. Working, watching Pete work um, with the under nines, where one of the boys, Toby, um, went to get his gloves for his his teammate. He asked his mum to go to the car, so he's he's. Um, his teammate who forgot his goal. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, we went out his we way to do that, and and Pete. I, I imagine he'd be jumping on that. So Pete highlighted that's yeah. how. Oh, that's great. That's the behaviours we want to see. So being a team player is really important. It's just understand that we're looking for those moments of looking after teammates of, um, in the foundation phase certainly, just looking after teammates um, behaviours that help others, um, reassuring the, the mates, being friendly to people, and then as they get older, certainly to the older ages of um, the youth development phase then talking about the role in the team and different roles and responsibilities the group hierarchies and all that type of stuff comes out understanding the role in the group um, and that might be different to schools how do they deal with that And so you get into the social social core as as important but it just comes out differently it looks a little bit different yeah
0: you you said that it just reminded me of something as well while we're, we're singing Pete's praises of something that I regularly notice about him is this extremely finely tuned radar to teachable moments, yeah. whether they be, like you say, socialisation and behaviours, yeah. or, or, or football stuff. Yeah, he's, he's very highly tuned, and, and and that's a trait I see in in the best coaches that I they they are
1: observing almost like on a radar yeah, to absolutely. to try and catch these. And moments. I think where that what helps that is seeing the kids as kids. Understanding the role of the coach is to help develop them as people as well as players um, and catching the moments around reinforcing good behaviours, mm. as well as also, and it's not one or the other, it's both, as well as catching the, and reinforcing the good football moments and the good skills and the good decisions. Um, but part of that, I think, comes from having real clarity of what are the things you're looking for, what do we want to see. Um, so if you have. Um, it's just quite clear that Pete's looking for that so often when you're trying to see everything or you're looking for everything Then, it, um, especially when you're starting out coaching it's quite hard to see mm. everything where um, some of those behaviours as soon as he he's, he's on it because they have this positive behaviours that he knows that he's looking for and that are good, good for learning good for, um, good for the kids to develop in terms of life skills really
0: but I think that's probably one of the uh, a good selling point that's not the right phrase but i can't think of anything better at the moment for play and small-sided games like you mentioned because i see a lot of coaches who get their if you take their kind of um energy level or they you know they get decision fatigue from worrying so much about the what yeah like what the x's and o's what am i going to deliver for these yeah. Players tonight because it yeah. solely rests on me. Yeah. Whereas if if we give the players some freedom to choose, to self-regulate, to manage their own games, uh, to play, yeah. which is something that they, you know I don't think they they get enough opportunity to do. It fr- I think it frees up the coach to stand back a little bit, observe, yeah. and catch those moments.
1: Yeah. And John Allpress used to always say, and I still believe: if you're not sure what to do, play a game. Yeah. It's such a great um, fallback, if you like, as a coach. Sometimes circumstances dictate that you haven't got the area, haven't got the numbers that you might have planned for. Or um, so yeah. So if you are if you are in a bit of trouble in your own mind, just play a game. It's better than yeah. wasting time, you know. And, and it's it's really important for the kids to do that. And this idea of play is crucial. And it's I think we accept it's important in the five to eleven age group, but it's also important at twelve to sixteen. Definitely. Definitely that's why we play it's, it's the feel of, of, of play of, of um, especially some of the unstructured stuff is still important because within that you can practice um, you use imagination you can be creative you can practice the individual moments um, sometimes when it becomes structured it's, the kids are less likely to practice some of those individual mm-hmm. moments because they then trying to work out their role in the team And um, so again it's just the diet it's the balance of um, as they get older but it's still really important but play is crucial and I think where, what, what is important with that is, is planning if you, if you can design the game um, right and I know uh, you've had Ben on talking about constraints coaching so I'm not going to go too heavy into that because people can sort of pick up um, if they want to know more about that from Ben's podcast but if we get the game right it's not just a case of let the game be the teacher. But if the conditions of the game are right, there'll be there'll be opportunity to learn. Yeah, and I think there's a real good opportunity to learn. And then if you can carefully, um, carefully observe and reinforce some of the sort of good behaviours and good individual bits of play and collective bits of play, um, and find ways to ask the right questions. that's sort of, um, as a more experienced coaches get to choose the right interventions. But that's sort of carefully chosen to help enhance learning. Not because I think I've got to get these three points out. I'm gonna. Mm. So it's it's all. But if we start with getting the games right for the kids, um, that it gives them the opportunity to learn, regardless, almost to how we intervene as coaches. There'll be there's the opportunity to learn. And then we can carefully help them learn.
0: Yeah, I've I've started to reframe the way I look at planning practices and sessions now. From because I've seen some fantastic examples of detailed planning. I really have it with some of the coaches that that I've worked with in, in the last few years it's it just it puts me to shame because I, I struggle with that level of detail what I find is that the longer I spend planning the worse this, this session the session yeah. because it becomes like a like a recipe to deliver it and, and the way I've started to reframe planning is almost like um, uh, setting sail so you 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 know where you want to get to you get in the boat but actually the best laid plans look fantastic can look fantastic on paper but when once 16 players start running around and then you've got yeah. other environmental factors you, you know it's chucking it down outside now yeah. well how does that how do the players respond to that and you've got all yeah. these complex mix of things going on that's uh, that don 't necessarily come out in the technical detail of a, of a session plan, mm. and what do you do when things go wrong, or you know the, the players don 't play to the rules or yeah. you know that set pattern doesn 't quite work so i 've kind of looked at planning now almost like being a a, 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 in a in a one person yacht yeah and you get in there and you 've got no idea which way the wind 's going to go, but you need to react to it and respond to it yeah, and uh, you know that 's just the way I kind of
1: yeah I I agree I think it's um, the the tough thing at times with something like planning is we'll all have different ways coaches out there will have different tendencies and different I'm a little bit of a scatty thing so (laughs) likewise when I I cook I just throw things in (laughs) I'm not really a recipe follower so that's me but other people um, are so sometimes people would like that type of structure in terms of their thinking to plan so one of the key questions I think is what's the purpose of planning who's it for what's it for Mm. Um, and I, I just tend to I tend to have I think quite a simple process around who's it that working with um, so what stage of development are they who are they as individuals just have, having that type of starting from that, that point um, and then trying to have some clarity around it. so what do we think we want to help the players learn and develop and then thinking about well, what might what might good look like and what might be some of the things I'm looking for um, do you know what I've found
0: has been more effective in my own planning recently is actually planning who do What do I want to say to who? So yeah. who are the individuals tonight yeah. that I want to have a one-to-one with yeah. to pick up something brilliant that they did on on the weekend or find out a little bit more about X, Y and Z that's going on in their lives and actually planning for... The connection stuff, yeah, and the football stuff kind of starts to take care of itself because yeah. you get this kind of really connective environment, quite laid-back environment where there's a, a you know a feeling that people can take risks and be themselves.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing, that you, like, absolutely, and I think part of the part of the planning is maybe planning for. I think observations t- is 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 not easy, um, and uh, so you might pl- so sometimes the plan. I think this is the bit where we get it's easy to get muddled up. Where the, you might do a plan, and you might have some things that you want to. So if you're working on receiving, or you're working on finishing. You might have some things, might key factors as we used to call it, where you might have some things that you think these are some things I'm looking for and want to try and help the players to learn. Well, that doesn't mean that you've got to give them that. Mm. That might just be actually for the, to to help your observation so when you are watching the kids and you''ve you've, you've had you've, you've connected in whatever ways and you've worked um, and you might plan you as, you as you say sort of some some of the social aspects and, and how you connect differently with different people but might just give you the actual give some clarity about what you in the football bit what you're trying to look for but that doesn't necessarily mean you've you've got to give them all that you might just pick one little thing from that that you think that that individual player might need that yeah. night um or that you've seen on the weekend or you've seen in the previous weeks so the, the plan might just help your observation as much as anything around these are some of the things that i'm, I'm looking for um that might come out yeah um and not feeling that because it's on the plan i've got to i've got to, Serve got to it cover up. this yeah um it's not for that it's just to try and it might help your observation so when you are then coaching you work with the players you connect with them you set the environment um you then design your practice thinking well these are some of the things I want them to learn and it gives you it helps give you a lens for your observation and thinking well, I'm, I'm looking for these things tonight in the kids um it might be in any of the four corners there might be something that you plan around a social corner around different behaviors or leadership skills or, or different life skills or whatever it might be or actually you know thinking about tech tack might be it might be working on finishing so just think well what to do, do before the ball comes as the ball comes so then you might see they might miss a chance and then you might think okay I'll see that might be a one off so let it go and then, and then um, there might be certain types of finishes that, that, the, that you want to help them learn um, but it just gives you that sort of help, might help observation but then it's a decision as a coach of when and how mm. do you step in do you, do you let it go do you, have, do you, do you speak to them individually do you, not, do you just log it for I've noticed this so i might pick that up further down the line but it's almost it's hard not to be governed by the plan on the paper at times it,
0: it is and i was laughing before because you mentioned early experiences and games and things like that and i i chuckled because yeah i was with our lads last night we had a a friendly we've we've been fortunate as a club we've moved on to one of the new hub sites uh, the park life sites which are just it's a it's absolute paradise i never thought i'd yeah. Coach on a on a facility like that, and so on a Wednesday night. At the moment, we're getting teams in, just playing some friendly games, and you know the lads pretty much manage it themselves. They sort the team out. They, um, you know, and I I sat with a few of the parents last night and just watched and helped make some subs. But really, sat on my fishing stool and watched the game, and really enjoyable. I was thinking, my first experience of a grassroots club was, uh, it was a a training pitch which was next to the first team pitch at this club and it was literally 20 aside. side I was an 8 year old and there was uh, I was probably the youngest and fattest and then there was 15 and 16 year olds and if you touched the, and it was 10 till 12
1: yeah.
0: on a Saturday morning if you touched the ball once you'd done well Yeah, it was, it was like mob football so it, it, it's like, probably slightly different from your early experiences
1: yeah just to what were the good things about it though
0: Ah, uh, do you know what? I I really remember vividly uh, these nasty silk shorts on and, like, gola boots. And I, I remember thinking, just don't mess up. And you had to kind of earn the respect of the elders. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I probably didn't learn too much about football because the opportunity wasn't really there. But I t- you had to... Um, yeah you had to kind of Get the elders respect And because We used to play In two year age groups You were, you were either playing you were, you were playing up Every other year Yeah And that uh, that I found that I really enjoyed that And so even when I was at 14 I'd be playing with 16 year olds And 15 I'd be playing with men So I got a lot from That kind of Playing up And earning the respect but Yeah Technically I was Nowhere near good enough Because the the rhetoric at at, the, at that time was to touch you know it was, it, everything was yeah. to touch and I think we're still battling with that you know we've, we've yeah, talked absolutely. about that yeah, before yeah. And it's yeah. something that we need to kind of just I, I spend as much time getting coaches just to think you know w- what is the purpose of that what are you getting from it and what's the what's the pros and the cons yeah because if that's all we ever do, yeah, we're, we're missing so much. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're missing so much. Yeah,
1: because there's lots of things that come from that as well.
0: Yeah. Um, but then so. I, was, I was talking to somebody today about uh, who was it? Uh, I think it was the physio this morning. I was talking to him about um, the. Ah, oh, that was it. So a few of the lads that I coach, they go, they play um, in uh, goals on a Friday night. So it is, uh, I think it's quite, it's like a little five, six aside leagues on the 3G. Yeah. And, the, and interestingly, the only adult present is the one in the middle refereeing. Right, okay. So the, the boys sort their own teams out, they enter the league, they've got to do all the administration. The parents just drop them off and go. And they're there for a couple of hours on a Friday night. Gets them off the street, gets them playing. And one of the lads said to me the other, last night, he said, Oh, God, got a whack. Was playing against some 19 year old who's about six foot seven yeah. and i was like <laughs> but they they absolutely love it and i think it's because they get the chance to control it and they regulate it and they sort their own sort themselves out yeah there's no adults shouting at them yeah. telling them what to do
1: yeah
0: it's probably like the walls and yeah. boys club was it
1: yeah um that, that sort of search for independence that that, that the autonomy is really important isn't it? but yeah i grew up with um Place called Walls and Boys Club up in Newcastle. Um which was great. It was like paradise. It was
0: um Have you seen the shirt?
1: Have you got one? Yeah. Ninety two season. Ninety two season. <laughs> New- <laughs> um but yeah, so it was basically it was a it was a an old an old club there, it stunk, it, the smell was uh unique, <laughs> let's say. What was it? I don't know, it's just like <laughs> it was like foisty it was, it was horrible really but it was brilliant it was, it was brilliant as well whenever you went back it was like the smell just hit you it was like you felt at home really? like years later but yeah so grew up from the age of five um, just going down there just going down there so there used to be a all-comers night on a Saturday night where you'd turn up pay your ten pence or whatever pile in and get organised into teams and just play you get a team name um, the first thing you do is do some races up and down and then into football for the rest of the night and it'd just be like round Robin so it was like a five-a-side five court um, but also when you were watching there was like pool tables and that type of stuff so it was literally it was a it was a, it was a youth club yeah and it was actually built for the um, youth workers and the families of the shipbuilders um, so it was totally built as a, as a youth club but from that little hut and there was two parts of the club there was the actual clubhouse but then there was also the representative team, or the, or the, um, 11 side teams, uh, other eleven-a-side teams. So played. was it like a indoor court kind so of? So the clubhouse sp- was an indoor court. Um wall, you played it, off the walls. You could play off the walls. Yeah, um, couldn't score on the box. One of the best was head height. I yeah, had to play. Um, so the ball couldn't go above head height, and also the first pass couldn't go back to the keeper. Ah. What, from the centre or...? No, from the goalie. So if the goalie oh,
0: you, if the goalie plays out, the then you can't goes, play back. Yeah. A bit like futsal.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, goalie roll, you can't go back. Um, which helps, because then you've got to find a solution. You can't well, effectively, you can't. You're, you're, I suppose, if you so could... So the one of the um, constraints in the practice I up Pete did with the with with foundation his DNA, was you can't pass backwards. Right. So then you've got to find a solution to... Um, to play forwards and you might do that by a pass but you might do that by staying on the ball and dribbling and finding different solutions so because the first pass couldn't go back you had to find you had to find some solutions so that and, and because the head height really meant that you you couldn't just boot it you couldn't some did off the walls and was it winner stays on as well no it was like no. on the Saturday night all comers. as it, um, sometimes it was depending yeah. on how many numbers turn up but they that range from like five to seven or eight year old There's quite a wide range on that Saturday night session right but then every night of the week there was uh, leagues little leagues so you play you win a team and you play um, I was more from under under nines upwards um, before that I'd just play like friendlies and you'd get um, like five six year olds but someone has a six year old playing the under nines league um, so yeah you, you'd get in a um, you'd get in a yeah, you'd play in a team and you'd have, like, your fixtures.
0: Around. I remember going to youth club, a little bit older than that, but it was a similar sort of thing. It was like a... I guess the sports hall was probably two badminton courts. It's how you measure it normally, isn't it? Yeah. And we would play uh, 3v3 or 4v4, and it was... You'd be sort of playing uh, up two years maximum. Yeah. So it'd be, like, say, year seventy or nine or whatever, and it was... It was Winner Stays On.
1: Yeah.
0: And that that social pressure... Was, was huge and if you managed to take a, a year nine scalp and and yeah. and beat one of them teams and then and then hang in there and stay on it was yeah. like or well, what was the other rule I think it was um if you if our team had won and your team comes on the court if it's a draw we stay on so you've got to actually come and beat
1: us yeah so little thing little, little things like that that have kind of yeah, stood the be, test of time yeah absolutely um, it was brilliant some kids some kids came and didn't even play themselves they didn't want to play but um, they play pool there was a table tennis table upstairs, and there was a judo room. And, um It was just carnage a lot of the time. <laughs> as you can imagine, parents came, and some dropped the kids off, and the other. Or they had just that mix. It really was a youth club. But um what you also had was that in Nettingen, the pitch was sort of down a bit, so you had to go down six steps to get the pitch. And when you walked down the steps, especially if it was a busy night, you had one side. One side was a wall, one side was like a viewing gallery, so if it was busy then it felt like when you're going down the steps it felt like you were going into
0: okay, like gladiator yeah mm,
1: cold. and you, you never ever would if you were playing against a team there's two there's, a, there's steps down on both sides so you would never share steps really no you would never share <laughs> <laughs> and whenever the game if you were coming on next and the game finished you'd run and get the ball and make sure you, you used to get like 10 seconds of like a few kicks of the ball <laughs> <laughs> you used to like try and grab what <laughs> was gone have you, um, you ever seen concrete yeah, football where you would never share steps really? with the other team? Um but that was yeah, that was that was it and when you play I probably played there three or four nights a week. Really? Um and luckily for me we brothers older, so I, three three or four years old I used to join in. If there was friendlies and then like if short of players I used to join in. Uh. Uh-huh. You used to join with them. So I got a bit more football as well. But yeah, great times. And like you say, it was just a case of anyone could turn up, anyone could play. Um and I played I kept doing that until I was sixteen, so it was well, down at all's end at the club, actually yeah, so there's two parts so but at the age of nine then you there was also eleven aside teams but at that time there was only um, there was one one team per age, I think the first team was the tens actually, so that's when like you were playing an eleven a side league and the sort of you had to uh, the, select the best 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 kids if you like to. Um, to play in the 11 a side so everyone could play five a side and then um, they selected like the best kids out of the group to make a team for the 11 a side league when you'd go and play other clubs but like grassroots footballers now in terms of that where you, you're part of a club and you play other clubs yeah um, but there wasn't that many teams I think there were 7 711 aside side teams yeah. back then it was 11 aside side from under 10 yeah that was um, yeah
0: we were 11 aside, side same pitch as the first team yeah 10 years old yeah yeah
1: we were lucky we had a school pitch which was just because the field wasn't that big was a bit smaller so we played sometimes on that so different school pitches middle school pitches and yeah. stuff so it wasn't wasn't so bad but sometimes we did play on full size pitches which was I was always quite big for me so it wasn't too bad for me but yeah um so that was but what what you got what, so then what we had luckily was then we had five a side three or four times a week we train once with a team from nine onwards yeah. and, and then play um play on a weekend but then you also have school games and then you also as you got to like ten but I was on well. Centre of Excellence days, so I went to Newcastle Centre of Excellence from about the age of nine to twelve, thirteen. Yeah. Um, so you play for your club, go to the Centre of Excellence. So this was like pre Academy showing me age. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the there. that was the mix, so I had like a mix of experiences, mix of football. Um and then what, what, when did but West think, Ham come about? And then I went to West Ham and then I saw um, I had problems with growth actually so I missed about a year when I was about 12, 13 got released at Newcastle and then when I was about 14 club started I got fit and I'd gone through growth and then clubs came back in and then um, Michael had just gone down to West Ham as an under yeah like as a, as a YT after his GCSEs and I went to West Ham I think I was about 13 I played in the Youth Cup a year, a year like a year down ok so it was in a 14 tournament so I played in the youth cup that was the first time I played for West Ham but I just went and tried at different clubs the system was a bit different there then generally, it was a different time if you like yeah I just loved West Ham I didn't
0: realise you went to different clubs yeah but so there yeah, was yeah so
1: I went like went on that sort of journey of lots of different clubs right. trial here trial there I got a few different offers and chose West Ham
0: so what What, what was
1: it about them um, two things the environment specifically the environment around that, the way the lads were, the feel around the place, was was different to what I'd experienced anywhere else. Uh, how like how different? What it felt um, felt more like the boys' club. All oh, right. It felt it felt like Chadwell Heath. The training ground wasn't great. The facilities weren't great. The, um, there was just like a friendliness and a, a warmth around it. Like um, and the way the people were. There's not just the coaches, but people around the training ground. Um, there's lots of people that um, even Shirley was in the canteen and Jimmy Friff who used to help collect the but it was like people were just friendly and just look after you and I don't know there's something about with that other people went and didn't like it as as much but just people are different aren't they Mm. and Michael had that similar experience I nearly didn't sign because Michael when I first started playing we went to West Ham Michael was like 16, 17 right to just move down himself from Newcastle by the time I was 60 and ready to sign like as a scholar as a YT then Michael was in the first team
0: All oh, right, I didn't realise it was that late yeah
1: yeah so Michael was in the first team so I'm uh, yeah so he was 20 so um, by that time like there was a lot of I was starting to get known a lot as Michael's brother yeah and a bit of pressure around that but I went to different clubs I nearly went to Tottenham I got offered money by other clubs all that type of stuff was still going on back then Um but my mum and dad never told us anything about that no. just said choose where you want to go and it would have been life changing in, in a way not so much then but certainly when Michael went away it was quite a lot of money offered for Michael as a kid yeah. to my parents but they just they didn't tell Michael they just said go go where you want to go and then like years later Michael found out like, I can't believe he didn't mention that but they just said we want you to go so um, yeah I'm so happy. I went I just love West Ham and um, so I decided before that for, because of the environment and because of the football the way we play football, I expected and asked to play, was, I just, it was, yeah. And, yeah, I've seen some conversations,
0: with you and Tony Carr, that we, we actually used, on our level two, which is freely available, It's I think it's on the, if you Google, FA level two, Vimeo, there's a, there's a playlist of all the, the resources and videos, that we use, um, but anyone can access it, and there's some really good conversations, that are clipped up from, from you and Tony talking about those those experiences at, at West Ham I don't know if you want to because yeah, I imagine I, I they probably I influenced was quite, I
1: was quite lucky so we um, I think that's what what I, linking it back to now what I give is was for myself I went through the pathway a bit from grassroots So played the games programme was Walls End Boys Club playing grassroots until 16 same for Michael so Michael was playing for Walls End Boys Club at 16 and then made his Premier League debut I think at 18 and played wow. for like, England National League Senior Team at 19 so he's <laughs> gone within three years that just shows it's incredible. so when people think about say he's passing they think well what did he do and what system and you think well actually he just grew up in the boys club loving the game loving the game didn't really do any passing drills and not in the, the bar or whatever but didn't really did a little bits of structure coaching around him but it was mainly quite a player based pathway Um. So yeah, I lost my train of thought there, but um, but what,
0: yeah, what you were saying about what the way that they uh that you said the way that they wanted you to play and the way that they were
1: yeah, so think, yeah, we are expecting to play in, in quite a creative way. Tony was was and the whole club was was big on that at that point.
0: Um, they brought some players through then, didn't they?
1: Yeah, and it was quite a good period. So like I said, I, I was lucky enough to go through that period and see. Obviously, go through it myself and see a bit of that pathway and what what that looked like, and but that's only one. But I've I also seen sort of Michael's age group go through. what the, Was that between? Was, it, was that Joe Cole Rio Ferdinand? Yeah, so there was first. There was, there was others before that, but the first one I really seen was was like Rio uh, Frank Lampard and Rio Ferdinand's age. They got the Youth Cup final, and they were like um, they were a little bit older. They were the first couple, really, at this at that period. So the way they got into the first team, and then, about two years later, it was like Michael, Michael, and Joe Cole's age group, um, and then they, sort of they got through, and then a couple of years after that was like the Defoe, Leon Britton, who went to Swansea, um, and my around my age group, so I played up, played with them a little bit, and mm-hmm. you played up that type of stuff, played two years up at times, and then there was like Glenn Johnson and on Ferdinand, mm-hmm. that was sort of my group. So when I went to the Mill Cup at thirteen. Anton Fernandez was there, uh, Glenn Johnson was there, Elliot Ward was there. We played uh, a lot of football league. Uh, Kieran Richardson was in that team. Yeah. Um, Liam Ridgewell had been there before he went to Villa. He moved to Villa. He was quite young, so there's yeah, there were them types of lads around. Um, and then there was others who were seen as the the ones fancied, if you like, which for lots of different reasons didn't end up becoming. The, f- yeah. the footballers if you like um, but yeah just give it what, what that gave us when I'm obviously doing this week it just gives you the, a bit of sense of reality of even at 15-16 still a, in an academy land still a, a real, there's a long way to go
0: well fu- I mean football isn't gymnastics you know gymnastics are, uh, an, uh, I'll probably get shot down for this but an early specialisation sport Yeah, you know football it, you can wait you, you can yeah. You can be patient It's you, you don't reach your peak until 25, 26, 27 say yeah. and, and yet you know, we make decisions and even in grassroots on, on young players 10 years more before that, way more before that and yeah. I've, I've said the, the, the longer I've been in, in this the more that it affirms that for me a, a key quality if not the for a, a coach is patience if yeah. you're wor- working with young young developing players because they'll, they'll surprise you I've seen boys that I've coached in the last couple of years who've literally almost overnight um, just y- you kind of do a double take and think have I just seen that You know, f- six months ago yeah. that, that player was really struggling and now he or she has just jumped like quantum leaps I call yeah, it yeah
1: me. the difference can be so much defies logic doesn't it yeah, um, yeah. and that's, yeah, that's the reality of of coaching in in that age group of 12 to 16 especially 14 50 um the differences are huge and um there's a reason we talk about the four corners there's a reason we talk about this stuff because it's real it happens it happens in front of you some of it's more visible than other things so the physical development is obvious as you well it's usually quite obvious it's there to see but there's often some psychosocial stuff going on which is less obvious and um but it will be going on different rates in different stages in different ways for different kids and that's where the that's where it's really hard to coach in this age group
0: yeah um, just to give an example of the physical differences i laughed uh, last last season uh, we had two boys in uh, in our team and it, i'm not exaggerating here this is the truth one had size 4 feet and one has got size 14 feet so in 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 yeah. one in one age group you've got that to deal with that
1: difference yeah yeah I and mean, that's a real challenge for coaches and at times um, you can do things in training to try and the way you pair people the way you design tasks sometimes it matches it's harder to control absolutely so you, you 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 can't really um can't really control what the opposition do or what, or what they, they value or what how they, they play or how they play mm. or um you don't know in advance what they who their fast big players or early early developers are that, that and and sometimes the game starts and it can be challenged for for but that's the reality of it. There's no real short shortcuts or easy easy solutions for that. Um but obviously as we know those early developers and kids that dominated those times not aren't necessarily going to be the ones that'll No be the best in the end, although some might. Um and it's also really important that we we'll find ways of challenging the, especially the f- sort of physically early maturers, we'll find ways of challenging them in other ways. I think there's this thing with there's a recognition now where um, we need to look after the, the late maturers, um, we need to find ways to, to help them. But also, just because kids develop early, doesn't mean that then they're, they're going to fade in the end, or that they, they might actually they just need they need some they need support and challenge as well. Mm. So trying to get the right support and challenge for the kids, and do that in training and do that by the positions that the play, by, um, yeah. But it is a challenge; it's an ongoing challenge. I think
0: challenge is the right word. It, it's something that I've been doing recently. It's been speaking to some uh, a cross section of. Under fifteens that that play in the city here, and you know some of the stuff that I thought I knew a fair amount about young people at that age and what they want from football but I didn't realize the the extent to which they want to be challenged they the, the consistent message I'm getting through is they don't they would rather the, the last thing they want is just a certain win just yeah. to be um to have to have a complete certainty in, in in anything that they do they want i think one of them used the word i want it to be a mystery
1: yeah
0: they, they want chant they want testing yeah so many of them they they tell they're talking about they would rather be the underdog than the favorite
1: yeah
0: going into the game because there's that that opportunity to prove yourself yeah um, it's been really enlightening just, just listening to the the, the depth
1: that they, they they yearn for this challenge. Well and that's me. what's really important to ask the kids and for all of us to keep always keep a handle on that it's their game and we need to be sort of centred around them and, and where they are, who are they, why do they play, what do they want from their experience and how do we then as coaches support and, and give them that and find ways of challenging them mm. individually for their whatever they want and whatever their intention and why they turn up. Um, and the big difference within your group and that's where it becomes really challenging but that's our role of the coach of to try and support and challenge each individual yeah. um, and at times we talk about supporting individuals a lot but we need to challenge them as well Definitely. and that's what we're linking back to what Pete Sturgis does amazingly well with the foundation phase it, because of the environment and the connection he gets and the trust he gets from the players it gives them the chance to then challenge in the right way in a positive way so the level of challenge is really high as well but the level of support is really high Yeah. so both those things t- together give the opportunity for kids to learn, grow, develop. Sort of. I'm,
0: I'm, I think Pete's quote was, "I want to create an environment, or we want to create an environment where so we can safely throw the kitchen sink Absolutely. at the players." But and that that you reminded me there just talking about this is another kind of I I think cultural norm in coaching, maybe they're saying teaching and education in, in this country is that we. I, I challenge coaches That I work with A lot about this That we have this tendency To start easy And, and build yeah. up That That's like a default Model yeah, and, I, and I remember Paul Holder Noddy was saying This years and years ago Is that if, if we work off that model And you've got an hour For your session And you, you say Ask the coaches at, at what point Was the Goldilocks zone where was the sweet spot? Where was the time when they, were, when they were challenged? And often, it might be the last 10 minutes. Yeah. But it's taken us 50 minutes to get, there. to get there. So let's... Re- don't throw it out and say that you're kind of starting easy and progressing. It, 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 never say never. But let's think about why don't we start difficult, yeah. dare say it too difficult, yeah. and then scale back from that. And we might just get to that, that Goldilocks zone at 10 past the hour rather than 10 to. Yeah. And then we can spend more time yeah. in there, giving these young players what they want, which is to be tested and, and to be challenged.
1: Yeah, and I think it's, it's 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 absolutely vital that we do that. That the kids need challenged, and that they're capable of a lot with the right with the right conditions. And if we really believe in them and help and support them and help provide the right challenge, then they're capable of a lot.
0: And that that was another quote that really you know Paul's been a. Big role model of mine. I caught up with him at St George's recently and and he stuck with me. He said, Assume that they can rather than they can't. Yeah. And again, just reframing that.
1: Absolutely. And that's vital. But the thing that we need to be careful of is that we don't do that by premature professionalism, by. um, but I think they need to look at the adult game mm. by imposing an adult model. That's not what that means. What you're saying, and I know you don't mean that. I'm just highlighting that that's not what it means. It means about understanding the kids, that whoever you are coaching, whatever age group, who are they, what do they need, what type of challenge they need that's suitable for the stage they're at. Because if we skip stages, you can't go back.
0: Well, one one thing I've challenged coaches that I've been working with recently to just to ask themselves the question is what what type of coach do those players need you to be so whatever age and stage that you're working in who who, and what do they need you to be not yeah. not do you want to be who yeah. do they need you to be
1: yeah um, absolutely questions like what does it feel to be coached by you um, always good questions to ask yourself um, what do they need most from me what's my role with, with supporting this um, what do they not need from me um, but yeah understanding where they're at but I think it's just understanding understanding the reasons for playing and the one of the things around football and, and kids um, if we start with the kids they'll be so different in lots of ways but they'll also have real different reasons for playing mm-hmm. whether they can articulate it or not lot of times but there might be that they want um, to develop and, and, and become as good as they can be and, and see themselves having a career in the game and um, they might be playing for the district and the county and at, at, at that end of the spectrum if you like um, but they might be playing to stay healthy or, or play with the mates, or um, a whole host of reasons or might be just socially to be seen there's, there's a multitude of reasons um, so we need to understand why they player really yeah.
0: and I think part of it from the, the the boys I've spoken to recently is being part of something bigger than themselves yeah you know and, and like you say yep Uh being part of a team, uh, fitness and health, which is something that's probably, we, I dare say, we probably didn't, wouldn't have said that no. when we were in adolescence talking yeah. about it because it was just kind of a given. But yeah, those, uh, you know, recognising that and I'm starting to question whether the, the dropout that we see at 13, 14, 15, 16 in terms of numbers of players and teams playing the game I'm starting to question whether it is all down to the player motivation because we, we've we had a lot of boys you know we had uh, five or six boys that have come down on a Wednesday night training recently saying oh, can we come and join and I'm like we, we've got a squad of 19 I can't literally physically can't as much as I'd love to I can't take any more." and six of them come last night to the game and said oh can we join and I'm like lads it's literally one in one out at the moment but I tell you what if you can get a team of lads together,
1: yeah,
0: I'll promise you, I'll get you a coach, and we'll yeah. open up a team. And what? Really? It's like, yeah, you know, they yeah. they, they want to play. Yeah. I I think perhaps I wonder sometimes. I wouldn't put it all on the young players. I would say, is sometimes is it just the adults that have
1: had enough? And we've got a We've got a huge part to play in it. The, I think there'll be some things that we can't control. It might be life takes over some kids. Yep, absolutely. Whether it be some kids might have to work because. The family circumstances dictate that they have to work, or they might choose to work on a weekend, or it might be that um, GCSEs are coming and they need to prioritise that. The be all the decide to specialise in another sport. There might mm. be there might be reasons which are um, if, I don't know, how to put about pretty positive reasons. Yeah, I think I've heard the phrase used: good, bad,
0: and ugly dropout. Yeah. and that's a good good dropout. Yeah, where they're going some, up
1: to there's, something there's, there's different. Some, there's some reasons and this where. I think where it's really disappointing is because the experience isn't great, mm. and they just had enough, and they don't enjoy it because because of the coach, because of the teammates because of the offer that we, that they get. And I think um, as custodians of the game for all of us, I think we need to try and do a bit in, in two two areas. I think around the organisation a bit, if that's the right word, but around the offer that they get, the, the what competitions like, um, what the format of the competition is all that stuff around the organisation of it, um and the commitment and all that type of thing. But then the environment once they get in the environment and that's the role certainly as coaches that we can control. Yeah. And making sure that we provide the experience that they need. Um and they, they need to be inclusive but also need to like you say there needs to be support, there needs to be challenged, it needs to it needs to be interesting, it needs to stretch them. And I think part of the challenge in this age group is um it's a really tough age group to to, to coach in and often there's a gap and we're, we're not sure where to fill the gap from. When you, when you say that, what age group are you? 12 to 16, yeah. sorry. So, um, so they're coming out of foundation phase, say 12 to 14 um, and often they still might need some of that depending on the kids how long they've played. Some kids might be coming into football so they might need some more of that. um might need to sort of extend the foundation phase if you like mm-hmm. and my um, need still loads of staying on the ball and uh, real playful activity um, but often we sort of think well what next and one of the challenges I think for coaches is they keep doing what they've done with the kids when they're, like, they're doing the same practices or they're the, the, the speaking to the, the kids in the same way as they did when they're seven, eight, nine mm-hmm. year old so the, the, the kids get bored um, so one of the challenges as coaches is we need to develop as the kids develop and adapt as they adapt um so some of the sort of fundamental ideas are the same, but what it looks like in practice is different or mm. then although the other thing is where we're not quite sure how to fill that gap with twelve or sixteens or what what to do is if we sort of put an adult model on it um and just do what seniors do and, and um neither are ideal it's 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 we've got to get it right for the kids where they're at, and that's not easy so often like because when kids stop playing number 11 because they're playing NBA 11 we're expected to look like that old game yeah. kids to understand the positions and uh, understand the 3-4-3 three, three, then inverted wingers and um, well last last year we were asking them to stay on the ball hmm. and they could have fun and smile can't <laughs> <laughs> do that I, 11 v 11 well, 11 11 come so right forget all that rubbish we're into serious football yeah. now um, and it's just not right for the kids no. but if all we do is um, if, if we don't understand who the kids are at, and, and we're trying to focus just on individual uh, on the individual skills, kids want. Def- the, the, as I get older, um, kids generally are interested in how the team's doing and their role within the team. We need to help them understand their role in the team. Mm. Um, you said about four formats, even there.
0: So, I do uh, sit on the uh, Liverpool County Prem Youth League Committee. So it's like kind of the main contributory league in in this in the city, and then we've got now divisions from 11s right the way through to adults. But one of the things we've been looking at is what's the format. So youth development review, you know that Nick pioneered, and has just been you know transformational in terms of the culture around grassroots mini mini soccer nine v nine. We then go to under tw- under twelves uh under 13s and it's like straight into that september to may one division stay in that division and the problem is if you're if you're not matched appropriately and you know you could be locked in as you're a stuck. team or a player you yeah, stuck, stuck. And, and then your experience could be miserable yeah or could be un- unchallenging at yeah, the other yeah, end of the spectrum and so i spoke to a few different leagues and what one um East Lanx League up in uh, well obviously East Lancashire <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that they that we found interesting is they they split the adult league that's September to May in they break it into three yeah and they do smaller divisions they try and have at least three divisions per age group with less teams, yeah so if you are in a mismatched division, you're only there for say a term so and then, and then within that they'll play each other once uh let's say there's eight teams in the division they might play so you play seven league games
1: yeah
0: there's a trophy for the winners well done and then we'll move up and down we'll promote and relegate for the next part of the season part two and again there's another trophy for for part two and then part three is your kind of traditional cup but it might not necessarily be a knockout it might be like a champions league style format or and then you know uh, round robin sort of thing speaking to you know uh teenagers about this just to kind of get their gauge and the thing that shocked me the most was well A, the response was genuine, generally ov- overly positive that oh that that sounds exciting because it, it feels like you've got more to play for yeah. but I was surprised that the thing they were looking forward to was oh I don't want to get relegated so it means that if you're if you're down at the bottom of a division, that yeah. it, it's not like a meaningless game, you've got something to play it's for smart. in every game. Yeah, that was the bit that surprised me the most, actually.
1: Yeah, um, and it's a, yeah, it's a, and that's why it's really important to ask the kids as we go on. It's something that we're really are we all looking at at the FA around what other how do we organize competition, mm. um if that's right, competitions or in terms of formats around. The other thing that's just important for kids and, and is that although they're going to play 11v11, 11, a 11, small side of football, it's still have um, a huge benefit.
0: I think you mentioned the and diet think, before, didn't you?
1: Yeah, the diet between real informal players and structured practice and the formats and the competition and the variety and a volume of, of of matches and different types of matches that they get um, and just seen the value in it. So 11v11 is important for the kids but so is futsal, so is 7v7 and um, if you have the opportunity to, for the kids to play in, in in a variety of formats and take it because it's good for them, and by changing the format, what it does it gives maybe some kids that might dominate in an Lambie eleven, some different kids have the chance to have some success in sm- whether it's smaller smaller numbers or smaller areas or yeah. smaller pitches. Um, so the two the two things you get from that is um, a different experience. Which can be beneficial for the kids just in terms of enjoyment, but also some real player development benefits. Yeah. There's a really across good, all four corners.
0: Yeah, I think it, there's a really good article in the boot room, one of the back issues, I think it was Dan Macicci, in fact it was Dan Machici, yeah. talking about the way that they set when he was I think it was he, was the Academy Manager or head of coaching at MK Don's, okay, Dan, yeah. and they would have um, small pitch or, or minimum pitch, maximum pitch, and then they would have like minimum width, maximum length, or maximum yeah. width, minimum length, all these different pitches. And then they, they might play 7v7 on a full size pitch, and yeah. they might play 11v11 on the smallest pitch. And then, then
1: you know, really, yeah. uh, I, I guess. Just the same thing, but you know, when we talk about practice returns and, and the trade offs around repetition of certain things, um, around sort of realism just put a part That's the same thinking around what does the what do they get from the sort of well, you're
0: increasing the bandwidth aren't you of experiences yeah you think about the differences between you know 7v7 on a, on a big pitch yeah to 11v11 on a tight pitch and everything yeah. in between a narrow pitch you know forces you to play forwards a yeah. wide pitch allows you to to switch play yeah you you're you're broadening the experience aren't you by
1: yeah absolutely and um there's it's not just a case of just do loads of different things. There's the hopefully there'll be some reason of why what would be right, right for the kids. Some some kids might need, um, a good, uh, I think just as a general rule, I think variety can be really helpful and good for development. But ideally, you'll be able to sort of pick the right diet of how much of what do they need, yeah. Um, but just taking opportunities so the way our competition structure and and the way our leagues are set up generally be 11 B11 predominantly so you'll probably get a lot of that Mm. weekly or through the season and through school's competition so as even as think what can we control as coaches and coaches watching this then just think well if there is opportunity to play different formats whether it be a summer festival or or winter futsal league Mm. or whatever that might be then it's really good for the kids it's still it's still well, I think it's accepted that it's good for the kids mm. from the younger, but it's still really good for the kids. Definitely. Um in research I think we're back then up, but also I I, I guess a bit of my personal bias coming out of think of um some of the my own sort of grown up, my own pathway and Michael's pathway around getting you know, playing five a side indoor and playing eleven V eleven on a bigger pitch, then you get the chance to um play passes over different different distances and play the ball in the space mm. and all that on the 11-11 pitch um, and get that sort of broader vision and be able to practice some of th- and defend bigger spaces and that's really important and strikers to run into big spaces but they also sometimes get some tight area receiving and uh, quick feet and shifting and shooting and blocks mm. and repetition and all that on the smaller side of football um, so just understanding what you get and there's benefit in both and um,
0: yeah and I want to dig into a bit more of the the kind of process and detail around the um the the youth development phase DNA piece of work that you've been leading on so what what was the pro you said it was 18 months yeah what, what have you what have you been doing what have you so been doing yeah. um,
1: five years ago we're launching a DNA which was really a blueprint for our national teams with some principles to consider across coach education. So anyone that's been on any of our courses in the last five, five years are recognised. Um, certainly the five core pillars of are who we are, how we play, how we coach, future play, and how we support. and They're, they're in all our courses now. Um, and I think the caveat
0: on the important thing for that is that yeah, you said it was for the national teams yeah at the time and it was a question that was being asked is you know what do we stand for well, that that's what we want and and the the coaching principles is something that the the national coaches put them put themselves and wanted to be judged wanted against be they, judged that they against wanted so, yeah. an an England training session to look like that yeah. and i think that's the it's, that's not a stick to beat grassroots coaches with it's it's saying this is what the national teams are
1: about yeah, just what have you thought what about what we believe yeah just this i think it was just people Uh, we ask people to develop their own club philosophies and their own coaching philosophies it was just I think from Dan Ashruff's point of view a chance to set out this is our this is our sort of philosophy if you like Um, these are some of our principles and considerations that we work to work from so the probably the the initially um, it was centered around the national teams trying to have a cohesive philosophy across England teams from 15s through in the in the uh, uh, male and female game um, with some of the principles then shared through coach education just to try and help organise some of our thinking as coaches. It's quite a nice frame. Then five pillars are quite a nice frame mm-hmm. of reference. Um, and then part of that was almost well, what does that mean for the for the whole game? I don't know. If Today, centre around grassroots and what does it mean? The grassroots coaches. So some of the coaching fundamentals are still relevant for everyone, regardless, mm. transferable across ages and, and context and all that stuff. But then, the, I think there was a feeling that we'd like to have some age, age appropriate, um, guidance, information, some considerations. Really, I guess to um, to go with that for the whole game. So about three years ago, was it? Three and a half years ago, Pete Sturgis got asked to lead the 5 to 11 piece of work which was um come up with yeah some some principles and some considerations and some ideas for work in the foundation phase um which obviously aligned to our owing and dna um so pete did that launched uh online resource on hive um two years ago maybe yeah it's about About that now yeah years ago um and also, as people are w- uh, watching this, I'm sure, where has been on a bit of a roadshow <laughs> around the country. Um, yeah, doing some CPD events and, and showing some ideas. So that was that. And then about, as I say, about two years ago, I think it was, um, I got asked um, to lead the 12 to 16. I sort of follow on from Pete, really, with a, with a remit of, um, Trying to link with the with the national team's DNA and building on from the foundation phase DNA. Mm. Um, so the remit from Dan actually was quite simply just see the stuff that Sturge has done. <laughs> Can you yeah. just do that for the 1260? So <laughs> nice, easy job. But um, yeah, so that's where it started. So probably the first year was trying to gather information and, and see what we've got. Um, because I think the last thing we when, when needed in some ways was like new any new terminology, any new stuff. I, I think it's really important to um, not neglect the things that are good principles, I'm almost trying to think my own, own mind of what are the timeless, to start with, I mean, it's not about dismissing the modern trends and modern learning and all that, but just what are the timeless principles of good coaching that have always been good coaching and probably, hopefully always will be good coaching. So it's trying to get to that and, and understanding um, there's been um, a lot of great work done, both at the FA and in this country and around the world around coaching in this age group across sports and, and coaching and football. So the first thing I did when I got asked to do it was speak to a guy called Craig Simmons. Yep. So Craig's a guy for people... I'm guessing most people probably won't know Craig because he's always in the shadows. He's always in the background. It's often sort of like the brains behind the uh, brains behind the scenes. I guess the thing, the one man think tank. Um, so I was lucky enough, obviously working in the FA for so long, to to get to know Craig really well. But Craig retired in four or five years ago, three, four years ago. Yeah, about that. Um, so Craig retired, but anyway, I, I still I give him a call and said, "I'm do I'm doing this. Can you can I just?" i've got any advice couldn't come huh. meet. so i went to his house for a coffee so that's the first real thing i did was go and go and meet craig um and for those who don't know craig he he worked for the fa for about 30 years he used to work in the national school the little show when they had the national the um uh, he uh, with the likes of andy kale and others but i think mainly from craig came with four corner model yeah um and I think it first started getting used in coach education around the year 2000-ish maybe a bit before but then there was a, there was a youth coaches course that came um, f- when the academies came in really I guess around trying to get some age-appropriate um, considerations for coaches mm. so I had the pathway for uh, level 1, level 2 if and B, um, A licence at that point but then was trying to come up with some age-appropriate considerations to supplement that for co- coaches working so because of experience and because of the research and taking, there's a, there's a lot of thinking back then around the Four Corner Model Critic. That was what we went with at the FN. Um, and it's been a real cornerstone of everything we've done since, um, rightly. Um, it's different models, like it's in anything, in any walk, there's, there's different, you can have different people mm. question terminology, all, all that stuff, but the idea really was to try and help coaches understand um, the kids that we coach more holistically and understand the importance of holistic development if we want to develop players of the future as well as developing people as this as, is as the role in sports so yeah so I went to speak to Craig and had a coffee at his house Um and like five hours later I was going to
0: say I wish you'd recorded that one
1: yeah five hours later left um, with my head spinning realising <laughs> I know nothing about life I don't um so it was great Um but the, the one real bit of advice that stuck which I think is probably for everyone was he said the better you become the better it will be so basically saying you need, you need to up your game here you need, to, you need to if you're going to be leading this project you need to um, you need to get better as well if you want it to be better at what? I just knowledge and it, just, it wasn't anything specific it was just around um, reflecting yourself where your gaps who do you need support from what are the areas you're strong what are the areas you're not so, so strong who are the people that can help um, who are the mentors that you might need he didn't say all that but this is what I took from it Um that's why I went to Craig thinking well actually he's, he's done this stuff for the last 30 years um, why, would I, why would you not tap into that mm. um, and knowing Craig as I did he was a year course and when we it was covered and brought out files of stuff this is brilliant stuff that's still relevant now Um around understanding the stage of development the kids are at especially sixteen and I think one of Craig's big things was highlighting the importance of growth and maturation and development um, across all four corners and that it's really is an integrated blended model that it doesn't happen in isolation development doesn't happen in isolation um, if a kid grows um, they'll, it'll have implications in the other corners um, not necessarily got it isolated to work that you might do for certain things at certain times but um, one of the challenges with the four corners at any model is I think it comes a bit from academic that they talk about it a lot is I always believe that if you want to find if you want to know about something get to the source of it and like Craig was the source of that thinking around four corners yeah. and I think at times we talk about it as a model and forget it to, we talk about people we talk mm. about youngsters we talk about humans so whether it's a social or a psycho it's, we talk about people and we need to figure out who, the, who are these kids that were coaching and um, where they are in their development um, so that was really enlightening and i think what i quickly realized was my what my role was you it know, was to try and be a bit of a filter for all the stuff we've got because we've got that much stuff um that's just trying to shine light on the things that are most important in this age group really um and trying to get around the all the experience and knowledge that we've got to try and filter that and get people's opinion and so the first year probably after that was I met Craig I think four times since obviously when being retired I don't wanna do you know what I mean um, over, over sort of ask overstay me welcome with that but yeah every time I ask he's yeah yeah of course we'll, we'll, we'll meet up so Craig's been someone I've, I've spoken to obviously I've been lucky in terms of I've met Tony Carr the old coach at West Ham because of the things that I think I've got from Tony myself and um as a player and his experience of, of working so I've asked people that have maybe retired but been in uh, I spoke with Dave Pornaby had a coffee with Dave people like that that have been involved in youth development for a long time also spoke to people from different grassroots clubs um, in the boys and girls game just uh, a variety of people as well as our own staff and as well as some people in the academic world and, and just tr- and some really like not that just grabbing a coffee, or mm. spend a lot of time in St George's trying to just like grab people. And oh, by the way, I've got a question. And then like an hour later, and then like any chance of us leaving type thing. But yeah, just picking the brains of people to try and make sure that because I think it's quite hard. To, it's really, the hardest thing's to be simple at times. And um, so one example. So one of the key things that we talked about was that we need to get getting all the players that will coach which everyone said forever and it's one of the hardest things to do it's not easy to say so get to know the players how do you do that mm-hmm. what do you want to get to know what do you need to know um, there is stuff you see there's some stuff you don't see there'll be some stuff that you can guess but you don't really so getting to know your players you can't just do it it, it,
0: and you, it takes years it
1: takes it takes, it takes years and it, and it changes and they're changing um, so something like that which, it can't become a throwaway comment no. it's, it's far too important for that so how? Uh, I guess, so I guess so just, so so just how do you us, do that? How do you get to know yeah. the players? am out there listening to this, and you know you know the importance of it. But what's the? If, uh, I think there's just things around building a build rapport and connection with the players. We're getting the balance right, but you're the coach. You're not you're not there to be the friend. So having the the right type of boundaries. Um, but getting the sort of social context right getting the getting the relationships and getting the feeling around the players that you, that you can get to know them observation is key conversations around football about, about getting to know them away from football about asking how the day's been mm-hmm. or about noticing who they're friends with noticing how they behave noticing what they tend to do the stuff we've talked about with Peter observation on and off the pitch um but the sort of ongoing communication I guess Um trying to make them feel comfortable with you being around is what is one thing in this age group especially because when the, the kids change the relationship with adults changes in this age group um, when they're in the foundation phase the parents are real important, parents are still really important by the way I'm not saying that yeah. parents are a real important reference as they get older, of the soul sort of, I guess in some ways detached from from parents as, as they grow some more than others and all that stuff but they become more independent I guess and that's just nature taking its course as mm. much as anything um, when they sort of enter this phase they, they really are kids um, and they're still kids but they leave a lot closer to being adults And 16 that. you know they're, and they're, they're, they're ready for the um, in a football world in academies they're ready to become full time scholars and in and, and, um, life, they've gone into college or apprenticeships, and they're certainly making some key life decisions. And GCSEs are finished, and, and as they leave, as they leave this phase, so this, it's such a broad phase. Um, but they come in, as I say, the and as they go through, they become more independent. Um, so the relationship dynamics changes but often a coach can be real important and positive and power, well, definitely powerful role model in their life. And I can't underestimate the role of the coach. In terms of the impact they can have, mm. so even the fact for grassroots coaches out there, um, for all coaches I guess is just turning up and being there for for, for, for people every week.
0: That's the word I was going to add was the it's consistent
1: role the model. Consistent role models are huge, um, and consistent boundaries and. Um, so one of the one of the terms we'll we'll get to in a bit is around playing with freedom, but that's that's not just any. It's within the within the boundaries, within the structure, within the framework that you set, both in terms of football technically, but socially around. This is the expectations. This is the, these are the boundaries that we work within here. So, um, yeah, being a positive role model is key. And just even think about the. I know we use it a lot, but think about the teachers, people, adults that are important. You think when well, we were that age. When we were 12 when we were 14 when we were 16 who was important to us what What do we need from them um, those people who were the teachers that stood out and why what was it about them that made them the people that you now remember um, so adults still have a really important part of their life it's just it's the peer group and the strength and the impact of the peer group grows generally mm. um, and changes and as the kids get older things like if the um, if they don't want to play, they'll just decide not to play, yeah. and they'll decide. Um, so parents can still have, a, have an input and a say and, and they will have. But kids will, will be often will make their own choices. Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's so it's, getting another player is not easy. now um, what I would say is just understanding when when we get this content, online I understand around growth and maturation, around growth spurts, around what stage that they might be at. Um, around the support they might need around understanding what they might be going through understanding that if, if you're working with under 12s um, they might be going they might change schools and going to a big school the social dynamics of their lives changes so you might see that in the football they might have different friendship groups even within the team some stuff might change around that time then when they go 13s and 11 aside, there's some there's a lot of change it really is the change in years I guess so there's going to be a lot of change.
0: The only time with the, the group of boys I coached that have had any sort of behavioural issues was in the September to October half term of under 12. Yeah. Because they, they it was high school. It was the start yeah, yeah, of high start school. start of high school. And a number of different schools finding their way in a new peer group a pecking order. Yeah. Uh, and that... That brought about, it was something I wasn't really prepared for but it was certainly
1: something I learned a lot from. Yeah, and it, it, it can have a big impact, kids might, kids often want to change teams because of the, they might move areas they might, mm. there's lot of change at that time um, depending on the school system in that area for other kids, there might be a middle school system not as common but um, that might come later But just understanding, considering the, where the kids are at in their lives, who are the kids, because that will impact that will have an impact and you can't control it we're not asking you to control it so just see if you've got an awareness of it and then if you can control the things if you can try and control the experience and the environment that you set um, you can't control that but just be recognising that there's other stuff at play I guess when you're working with kids especially in this age group the other things in this age group around getting to know them it'll be just personality types and um, yeah like who they are And so it's a real period of risk taking generally for the kids um, is that is that discovery due com- to hormones testosterone hormones, testosterone, brain development um, there's lots of stuff at play yeah um, a lot of change but how does that then
0: manifest itself in, in football is it are we talking risk as in trying something trying to beat a player putting the ball at risk and, and losing it or are we talking risk as in um, things might boil over I'm more than maybe more likely to square up to an opponent and both
1: all that. And what I do, what is really important is that we, if we can try and channel that risk taken in a positive way, it's a really powerful sort of learning disposition behavior. If we maximise it, it's a great opportunity for them to test boundaries. How might that play out practically then? So even in terms of um, if we think football, just around their game, there's a couple of things with it around seeing how seeing how things work, taking risk, taking risk with the ball in terms of. Um, Trying to take players on, trying to do different things, trying to do things that they might normally do. Um, there might be a centre back dribb- dribbling out um, from the back, but whatever. So there might be some things there. Um, or they might just try things. The other thing, but that's going to be going on is aligned to that. Is that they're going to be changing? The body's going to change. Mm-hmm. So their capabilities will change with them. So they need to explore that. So. Um, an obvious one might be as they grow and the sort of uh, muscles develop if you like then the range of pass might develop with it so then they're capable then of playing a 40 yard pass Mm. where previous to to growth then maybe 20 yards might have been the max so actually the possibilities the tactical possibilities change so we need to try and help them explore that and see what they're capable of and see if they can develop some of those some of those skills and um, defenders can't play um passes into midfield but gonna maybe play the dag, switch whatever so that's just one example but um yeah so but it's almost that that comes with a bit of risk that they need to test the kid with this it's like are testing they want to test you mentioned it before on they want to feel a test they wanna, yeah. almost it's like an experimentation time and, and all aspects of their life and want to channel that into football so they can test their own boundaries and development um part of the challenge is comes with the behavioural stuff around it so managing when things don't go right managing and it'll boil up they'll they'll, they'll, there might be test there what the boundaries are they'll test you as a coach they'll want to test what are the norms what can I get away with Um, sometimes in a way which is okay and that will we want them to sort of test that it's, it's, I think it's just age. natural as natural that they're doing. So it's it's a good thing because the they're testing boundaries but if it overspills then we need to be clear about what the boundaries are and when it becomes unsafe, when it becomes disrespectful, then it be and then it becomes an issue that it needs dealt with. Um and you might need to be the person that deals with it. And mm. certainly if it happens in your context and they're setting it off training that night then you might need to deal with some with some stuff. But I think one of the things in this age is something you might not get the thanks for some of the work that you put in to helping the kids but maybe you will in 10 years
0: yeah that's a great point
1: maybe you will in 10 years when they think you know what that person was uh, it might be that they taught you how to play the position to help them with the football or might be the person that kept you on the straight and narrow that when other people had given up on you that had stuck with you or when other people um, hadn't given you the time or might be, might be that you're that person that, um, show them a different way or a better way or way of behaving, or, um. So yeah, so there's, there's it's not easy coaching in this age group. Whatever no. setting you're working in, this it's it's a it's a test and time for. But also, I think one of the things around it is some of these behaviours. It's not the kids intentionally being naughty or no. making. They don't set out to think I'm going to make life hell for this person, this coach. It's not, often it's not personal it's just the the stage you're at and yeah. the stuff they're going through um, so it's just around almost understanding that any of us coaching in this age group are going to face these challenges mm. and not just think it's you that's dealing with it it's challenging for everyone and also understand that it might not it's probably it's probably not personal no and I, what I found and I think
0: you're right it, it it's not easy it is challenging but personally I, I think and every every team every Player, every adolescent is is unique, and so it's, it's really careful not to kind of
1: generalize. Yeah. yeah,
0: what I found this this season has been the most rewarding season in in my life in terms of coaching, as far as seeing the progress of a group of uh, boys coming into you know young men, the way that um, they conduct themselves as as people, the way that they try and play football. Um, so yes it's challenging but, but also so so rewarding when it when yeah. it clicks um, and, and so yeah I think and you you talked before about uh, the diet of, of practice that you um, expose or the other or yeah. the experiences that the players are exposed to and it reminded me of uh, again something that Paul Holder used to talk to us about was about the right, about the right practice for the right player at the right time yeah and it, it was something we did. I've done with the uh, the lads earlier this season, and we, you know, we they got to a place football wise where they're really comfortable on the ball, but you know maybe struggle to penetrate the opposition yeah. because largely due to physical differences. But what, yeah. you know we, we just try started to explore um, you know penetration in terms of uh, individual and, and team, but focus mainly on individual first, and so you have talked about constraints before it just started and this was about 6 weeks that we worked on this sort of stuff uh and and the danger here for anyone listening or watching is don't copy and paste this what this in all my years of coaching I've never seen a a condition or a practice just click with such a group of players at the right time complete fluke but it we started with the condition of um, a restriction uh, every time you receive the ball your your first touch must go forwards, so just to get into the um, uh, start exploring some creative ideas yeah. and and of course, there was loads and loads of free kicks early on. it was total yeah. car crash and messy, yeah. but after five or ten minutes yeah i what I saw was you know from a group of fourteen and fifteen year olds it absolutely blew me away the the, the amount of creativity and ways that they found to get round this challenge that I'd, that yeah. I'd posed them. Yeah. And then what we started to build in things like, okay, you you can go backwards, yeah. but it must be on your first touch. So yeah. in other words, so how are you going to support the player who's receiving yeah. the ball? If I'm playing the ball into you, if I know that you can only go backwards on your first touch, or you've got to go forwards on your f- first touch, what? how does that influence the pass that I then play to you as a teammate? And then when we started to think about all these Playing out these different questions and and um, and then we started looking at it. Well, where in the pitch would we want that to happen? Okay, maybe higher up the pitch, maybe in midfield areas. So just started, and for about six weeks, we we just played around with these conditions to the extent where we left it for a bit. Uh, I think we'd had like Easter, a half term, or something. We come back and the lads were like, "Can we have a game?" You know, at the, at the end of training, like, Can "We have a game." Yeah, of course and it, well, it was like can we do that first touch condition first touch forwards mm-hmm. I said well, so you'd rather play that than a normal game yeah so with this group of players they've gone they've latched on to something that they feel challenges them and, it, and they've now not always but often they'll go oh, let's, they'll impose that condition on themselves just because they like the way that what it brings out in them yeah and the different ways that they it, it, I guess it's it's like risk
1: absolutely it's one of the it's one of the um it's one of the constraints i use on the roadshow events for the 12 to 16s um and we did a we did a bit with the staff at st george's around that um but yeah because one of the things with with a constraint such as that is there's lots of that i'm not saying this is the only one to use but to be able to take your first touch trouble requires different things so in academic land we talk about perception action coupling and we talked a bit before about when we are talking about staying on the ball it doesn't happen in isolation so mm. to be able there's different ways to be able to take your first touch forward um it might be if you're marked then you might have to find a, a skillful solution to maybe take your first touch past the defender or might be that you can actually get faced and get turned within that little tiny bit of space yeah. you've got so you're taking your touch and way to then face up the defender to beat them or if that's not for you um or you might actually leave, prepare some space to be able to um, make a run to get it to lose your marker so that might be you know, sort of brushing over some of this but then to be able to take your first touch forward an, an alternative I guess is to lose your marker and be in a position where you can be free so you've mm. got the space to take your first touch so then that might require some preparation before the ball comes that like you can actually be in a position to take your first touch forward so that just the, the, that challenge um it can, it, yeah. It, it requires some thinking, I guess. I mean, yeah. That's the bit, and I think in, in this age group, for me, is probably over generalising. Where we really want to help them think around in in the game, um, and under like almost game understanding, game sense in the game. So it's all right. talked understanding of the game, I guess, but understanding the game. Um, and understanding whether we're a striker or a fullback, or, uh, before the ball comes, then what, what's yeah, what's what's in the mind, what what? Um, and the best players will almost start planning some of that, and then uh, where that becomes important from staying on the ball is if I'm playing with you and I know that you're you can you I can totally trust you with the ball, and I know that you can stay on the ball as long as you need to, for whatever you're going to choose to do, I can then stop preparing myself. To receive, and I can start preparing my space and all that. You can stay on the ball, and then you can play the ball with me when the time is right. Mm. You've got that connection between us. Where if, if you're fighting the ball and if, then you're not looking at me, then then it's all reactive. Everything's reactive, and then the ball is coming and there's defending. You're not prepared. And it doesn't always work this cleanly. It's almost, but if you've got that idea of before so we talk about scanning and that's part of it, but. It's important we help players understand what they're looking for, what they're looking at. They're looking for the spaces of the teammates, and so we say check the shoulder, but what they're checking, Mm -hmm. what they're checking for, it's important that we help them understand what they're checking for. They're checking for the spaces of the defenders, of the players. So you're getting a picture. Really, all it is is to try and get as as good a picture of the game as you can. And I think
0: the catalyst for that, those those practices that I was playing around with, was the day that we spent at St George's. Yeah know, was it before Christmas maybe or this maybe no, this side of Christmas. Yeah, it
1: was, here, it was just like March um,
0: And we spent we must have spent ooh, an hour or more just talking about receiving skills. Yeah. And it was great to just talk football in that depth and you know you're just thinking about does us just take a typical midfield player that receives the ball off, off yeah. anyone in in the in the defensive line. Yeah. So what's what's the angle that the pass is coming in from? what's the speed that it's coming in from what's the height that it's coming in from yeah uh, is it coming in with sort of spin on it what, what, so how is the ball moving yeah and then so you've got all that stuff that's going on before yeah and then you've got to take in the the, the perceptual information around what's my body position uh, where are my teammates uh, who's around me? What's the threat to the ball? Where's it coming yeah. from? what's the speed of that threat. Yeah. Where's it going to go next? What are we? Gonna... And all these, all this information,
1: all, this, all that to play yeah. before the ball even gets to you. Yeah, yeah. And I think just I'm conscious of whether people listen. I'm not trying to complicate no. the game here. Yeah. Just, just um, this stuff to play. Well, this, this is going to be happening. So. Um, regardless of any situation there's going to be some variables going on around you might get the ball one time as you say the smooth pass that's quite nice at a a slow pace that's coming to you or the next time you get a pass might be from different distance and it might be bobbling and it might be slightly off target and you've got to adjust your body to receive so these things that's just football that's just, stuff's just happening so we need to help kids practice some of that because I was saying before about receiving and taking your first touch forward if you can receive well similarly if you can stay on the ball then it, it helps it gives you far greater possibilities of what you can do at the end of it and same with receiving if you can receive well really well then the possibilities then become greater um Beyond that, so mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're striking and you're receiving the box in a way that you can, if you're going to receive and take your touch and get a shot off, the difference between having to receive and think, What am I going to do? and the chance is gone, um, or you might be defending, receiving to try and step into the space. And if there's a big gap in front, you say, You might take your touch and take some. So, this whole uh, receiving skills are important for goalkeepers. And um, so, it's one of the just core cool things it's always been important. It was interesting around receiving, I was jumping about a bit here, yeah, but. Um, I know uh, Gareth Southgate's highlighted one of the things that we'd like to try and keep improving in terms of receiving skills going forward but the future game book which is a great book and if anyone gets a chance to get it and you haven't got it get it it's, it's am sure sort of, there's PDFs out there as well yeah I think so the uh, yeah there is yeah but um, in the intro Trevor Bruggen wrote I think it was 2010 that yeah, was. We, we need to improve receiving skills so it's not not claiming that this is a new this is a new idea I think what we do need to do is really pay attention and focus on it we keep saying we need to, we need to improve it but so it's that thing if we keep doing the same stuff and we don't focus on it it's not going to get oh ah Jesus. I thought I'd do that disturb but... on. Ah.
0: there we go um,
1: we? receiving, receiving yeah so if we don't focus on it and we don't do um then I can't expect players to, to really, really get better at it. Um, and there's lots of, I say, to, the receiving, it's not just the, the mechanics, it's in relation to the pictures. So the best players get the best pictures to get the best ideas of what's going on around them. So part of that is to do with how well they scan And but it's, it's not just the, the action of moving the head, it's, they'll scan lots but they'll be looking and searching and looking for where the players are, where the spaces are and even as the ball moves and they move, they'll, they'll be doing that. Now, some of that's I am talking. That's quite advanced, um, but we need to start that somewhere. And yeah, I think what I've found from
0: watching players in in practices for years and years and years now is that it's difficult to develop those perceptual skills in isolated practices. When you're, you can't just tell a player check your shoulder when there's nothing to check it's for. Sport, there's no threat. And when I mean threat, I don't necessarily mean. I'm going to come and steal the ball off you. It might yeah. be that somebody's just in your way. Yeah. For that, you know, in a, in a yeah. practice that um, is, you know, where there's just some kind of uh, interference. Yeah. And, and this is, because I've watched, we were working with some kids on uh, level one that I'm delivering at the moment. And we did some individual, and they were, uh, what age were they? Eight to nine, I think. And we just sent them out. Some of the coaches had delivered some stuff and it was kind of, uh, there was some dribbling work, but in isolation. And then it was like, right, just watch watch the head because the head automatically drops to the floor. Yeah. Okay. But then when you start to put the players into a situation where they might bump into somebody else, so you kind of just, you mess up the traffic, if you like, Absolutely. rather yeah. than being isolated. Yeah. Right now, watch the head and the head starts to lift. Yeah, and and the sooner that we could, or the more that we can encourage that, and and get them looking not at the ball but beyond the ball. Yeah, uh, you know, I I guess it's similar. I'm talking about staying on the ball here, but we're talking about receiving yeah, skills. But
1: it, yeah, it's it's, it's perception-action coupling. That that is that in action. It's the idea that it's a it, you you perceive to act it's, You what you do with in terms of the skills are in relation to the picture. So if I, even if I if we about staying on the ball, if I'm going to take you on. Um, it's not just the mechanic it's I'm going to try and shift you one way to go the other or it depends on when the space is behind you it depends on it depends on this almost a little mini mini picture a little mini um, sort of force field if you like between, do you know what I mean if it's a yeah. 1v1 duel then so we've got to help It might be 1v1 duel to receive so I'm preparing so I'm going to take you out of the space knowing that this, I'm going to leave some space to. to or, we talk about like uh, about double movements so, in coaching for years around that you might make one run so like a winger, so you run away to come short, so the whole idea is preparing space really, so you know the space is there, so you're going to go that way to come and get the ball, so you've prepared the space ready for the ball coming, so it's all just this, um, but that's in relation, that's in relation to the person on the ball, so just in terms of where the receiving fits in and why we're focusing on receiving is one of the key things, and it's not the only thing obviously in this age group, is um, if players can stay on the ball and we understand that they're really good at that, then as I said before, then if the rec- the first person who's receiving, regardless of where it is on the pitch, if I know that you're comfortable on the ball and in control, and because you're that in control, you can lift your head, you can see the game whilst you're on the ball, then I can start getting in good positions ready to, to receive the ball in as best a position as I can. And then it's about the connection and the timing between when do you pass it, where. Um, but all that's in relation to what's going on on the pitch, and every situation will be slightly different. So we need to help players. To under, understand some of that, and it, you can't just that's where um, we talk about affordances. And um, if, it's a couple of uh, I follow on go on Twitter, and I have a little look at Rick Shuttleworth. Uh, Paul McGinnis has done some football stuff around it recently. You've got Mark up and Margaret and there's the and then academic, there's people like Keith Davids, people like Mark Williams, um, and there's loads around skill acquisition and anticipation and decision making. Um, yeah, it's. It's in any sport. You, you, it's in relation to the to the circumstance and the, and the scenario that you're in, and that's why the best players often. So, an example might be: so, if you take a real top player like Xavi, if you take passing for instance, he might play a five-yard pass that anyone could play. We could play now. It's, the technique of it is a five-yard pass, but depending on the pressure and the picture, he might take three players out of the game. And seeing it and being able to do it in that moment when there's pressure and you're marking, that's the difference. And it's it's in relation to the picture and what players are seeing in the head. So um, all strikers, when they have that instinct to run across the near post when others don't, and like Michael Long to do that and score lots of goals. And well, why is he different? Why does he do that? So it's just that's where we're trying to get to, and that's the reason why if we can help players get really good on the ball and help players understand. Help them with the skills and the understanding to receive the ball, and then you can start talking about the sort of the pass appreciation, how to combine well, um, and then help players understand if you're passing, to me what's the role of the next player in relation to that. Then it's then you can get into the real team tactics and yeah. what's your role in the four-three-three. That yeah, that sort of comes next.
0: and that, that's what I found in in my own coaching with the lads is that. It, it, even at this age, there's still so much individual work to be done before you can start worrying about the the the, the, the tactics of a 4 3 a 3 or a 3 and I think 5 two.
1: Part of when, when you say that, people think you're going to work uh, in isolation. We're not talking no, no. We're, not, we're not talking about that at all. I'm just talking about just um, looking at almost how many lens on each individual thinking uh, how they're getting on. And they need to practice it in game X situations to build up the almost the catalogue if that's the right word accumulated experiences they build up the catalogue of so they've got that they've recognised they've been here before they recognise the, the patterns they recognise the situation so that's why small sided games are important and yeah. game like activities because they need to practice some of that
0: but I, you're talking about experiences again I think there's, there's a, a, a question that often comes up with, with coaches and, and mums and dads is positions and, and you know there's no there's no set answer but the way I kind of found it in my mind is that by the time you know it, like we said it's a late specialisation sport but if we can by the time that they they've reached adolescence before they've gone through the growth world, or even even after it have they had an opportunity to play in wide areas in middle areas and in in, in, uh, in the thirds of the pitch yeah. have they sampled that yeah. before specialising and giving them the opportunity I think I think personally it's really important that as as many players as possible get the chance to experience what it's like in the middle of midfield because yeah. it's it's the only position where you're
1: you get three sixty the three yeah, sixty. I think part of as I get all it might be that you have less that, that they still might play different positions, but yep. maybe less. Um, and also how it's done, so they get it's not just like uh, a scattergun approach where there's just a bit of everything. Where it might be here played here for a few weeks, so you. Get Get used to yes. gonna reflect and get used to the position, and then maybe for another spell, where if you just play, everyone plays like four positions a week and yeah, I mean the it, kids,
0: but it's not it's um, no hard and fast rule, you know. Even if no, absolutely there's, not. There's some that I've coached before that are quite happily play any position any week, just yeah. want to be on the pitch, yeah, deal yeah. with it. Whereas some others, it's like. You know, I've, I've had six. You know, I, I, I'm really, really struggling to go anywhere out of my comfort zone, out of this position. And that might be for fear of failure. It might be for um, putting the group before my own needs, th- yeah. th- th- that sort of thing. But it's. I think it's important to have those conversations. That look, if you, this is something that you want to, if you do want to develop yeah. players, yeah, have that conversation. That, that you know, in time, it doesn't have to be today or tomorrow or next no. week, but it would be good for you to have some. Sampling, yeah, experience. Of I these. think one of the
1: challenges with coaching is figures. You've got to make decisions as a coach around. Um, it's a key. It's one of the key things of coaching, where you've got to who are your kids, where they're at, and deciding what do they need. And it, 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 we won't always get it right, but thinking about well, well, what you're trying to do, um, and there's loads of stuff out there. Dave Collins, Andy Abraham have done some stuff around. Uh, coaches decision making there's, there's 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 lots of stuff out there but yeah it's absolutely one of the things is it, it does depend on the circumstance on your setting on the on the kids that you coach and you yourself and as a coach um, but there's some things around the age that the kids are at the might of having conversations with people players to see why they're playing what they want from the experience it'll depend it'll inform some of those decisions mm. I think the other thing is just going back a bit on the receiving really conscious that cause we focused about on receiving and saying that they needs we need to help them as individuals with the game still at this age and that there's some things like receiving that they might not be ready for some of the tactical thinking that comes with it and some of the sort of high level thinking until until this age group um, if I'm not saying that you should never do any team shape or when no. you might you might do so it's just getting the balance right and understanding that um can't neglect some of these so we need to do we need the, the kids need a balance of real informal play and they need some practice um, again deciding on who your kids are where they're at and what they need and then getting the, the variety of activities and games um, and it's all part of the same sort of mix I guess and it's part of our job to try and decide and figure out what's best for, for the group of kids that you're working with yeah. um, but what's part of the challenges with this is wherever you show doing the roadshow if you show one thing people think that's it yeah. that's only it and it's it's just one part of it and the reason we're doing that on the roadshow is just because we almost feel it's been neglected a little bit um, or maybe we could look at it differently or help the players because as you say if players can receive um, take the first touch forward or receive in a way to play forward then the, the possibilities of the game the team tactics change if midfielders can turn and play forward then all of a sudden Forward's can make different runs, and yeah. it opens up the game. If they take the touch safe or back every time, then it invites the pressure on the team. It changes changes the game, so it's it's one of the or whether the defend whatever position they're at, it just it can help. So it just we do want to almost shine a light on that, but also the we still need to work on defending sometimes, we still need to work on passing, we still need to work, and the we on the team. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just getting the balance and the and the mixer, I think. But what we just what we're, what is important is just not too team focused too in terms of team strategy too soon, or or, or, or that's not all that's done. That there's a real focus on the individuals and what they need to get better.
0: Yeah. So what you, you talked earlier about uh, content, and we talked about the boot room already. What what's coming down the pipe? What if yes? B-
1: basically, we're we're developing a, some online. Stuff, um, just really to to share some ideas and some considerations around coaching in this age group. Um, there'll be some stuff linked to the five pillars and some stuff around the four corners. Um, I guess the five pillar stuff around um, how we play, how we coach, and principles to think about. Um, some of our, our beliefs at the FA and the four corner stuff really around trying to shine a light on some of the some of the things that your kids might be going through that's handy to know so that we can tailor our coaching accordingly mm. so if kids are going through growth uh, growth spurts then they might we'll have some stuff around that so just some information some stuff to consider and maybe some solutions on how we help them the ki- nurture the kids through that I think that'd be really uh, useful and some mm. stuff on the social corner around how behaviors change and who the kids are and some of the stages to go through and um, the psych development, how the brain develops and some stuff around um, decision making and what's important for them and as they grow and, they, and the game gets bigger, um, how do they deal with that and how do they manage their emotions, and so there'll be some bits on that, there'll be some technical, tactical ideas around um, how to stay on the ball and connect combine, and, and receiving and, and also 1v1 defending. Um, some, some some things I want to be on defending. Some there'll be obviously some session ideas coming. There'll be a, a range of a range of stuff, I guess, um, as well as the road shows that we been doing. But I think it's just the key things really is. So we've talked about lots in some of the some of the detail, but it's their game. And the kids that we coach is their game. Um, we do the kids will always be grateful in the end for. The time and the commitment that we give as coaches, especially in the volunteer world, and, mm-hmm. um, can't ever under, underestimate that and the role that you play is vital. Um, it can have a real impact in shaping them and, and how they develop as people and players, not just now but into into adulthood. It's really a formative period in the kids' lives. Um, so reinforcing good behaviours, reinforcing um, what we believe is good standards, understanding um, that that type of that's that's vital. Um, and again someone we can't, we can't take for granted developing a love of the ball and the love of the game and the kids they're still they're still kids um, and although them, especially fifteen, sixteen, 16 they wouldn't want to be called kids because nah. they want to be seen as adults they're, yeah. still, they're still children they're still at school they're, they're still developing. they still need support nurture and, and, and they still need us um, but they need us to sort of believe in them but they still need to have that love of the ball and love of the game because that might just keep them in the game keep them playing and we say it a lot, but really, have a real deep love of the ball—it's the ball is about. They want to play with it, have that in them. That's we need to keep that. It's it's vital. But also, it's not just a fluffy thing. It's they'll they'll want to practice and they want to get better if they've got that. If yeah. they've got that in them. And I guess
0: that's where our behaviours will will tell them what we value. So I I'll freely admit I um. I, I lost my temper for the first time at, uh, at a youth game that I was involved in. It was a friendly only a couple of weeks ago and the um, uh, scenario was player uh, held onto the ball a um, little bit too long, gave it away, the other team had run, run through and scored. Okay, and and so that that's fine. I'm sorry, I can deal with that. Yeah. No, no, because that I'm asking them to to stay on the ball, and then I, th- I thought this was going to happen, and the ne- the next time the uh, the ball came to the player under no pressure whatsoever, it was just booted out of play, and then you know I, 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 that, that was it. Then it was it was kind of like a preempted snap, yeah. but it, it, yeah, and I, uh, it was probably you know it, it was a bark, shall I say, yeah. but. I wanted to make, to make a point that actually don't you know we trust you on the ball yeah, that's look not acceptable, after
1: it yeah, that's not acceptable.
0: And, and that's not what what, what I value and what, yeah. what we value we want to look after the ball and love the ball yeah so I, that was I could see it coming a mile away yeah. and I thought I'm, I'm going to have to deal with this yeah. and then but then I guess the most important part was at, at yeah. half time it's like right we still mates yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. we can do that again <laughs> now all right we I mean,
1: have a bit of a laugh and a joke about it but yeah. Yeah, but it's all part of that context that you that, that you're in and that you create, isn't it? Um, but it's vital having that, developing that, and, and not like taking it for granted, not doing anything at the expense of that, putting for the real love of the game that the kids yeah. have got.
0: And, and my my it's, my snap only came about because
1: I know that that person can do better, and I want what's best for them. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, the kids kids need some guidance, and they need some um, boundaries at times, and. Um, and the thing with it the kids are going to be developing as as people and, and developing as players and what they need from us slightly like you say they, they need support and challenge what that looks like and feels like might change slightly competition might feel different and, and they might need different things from competition as they get older but some kids won't often one of the reasons for dropout is competition mm. that's not framed right for the kids they don't want it it's too much it's too pressurised it, but then um, one of the reasons kids keep playing is from competition yeah that they thrive if we get it right if we frame competition right for them that they can be successful and winning is, and is one factor in that but then there's other success criteria other things that they can do well and frame competition right for the group of kids you, you've got then um, it's vital but we're, we're, they're going to be developing this people regardless they're mm-hmm. going to grow they don't decide oh I'm going to have a growth spurt today <laughs> and we can't control that what we can't control is how we then nurture them through it and it might be that they have a different role in training this week, or like a different role in the team because they can't run as much. They might you might they might play less for that period or they might play in a different position mm-hmm. where where they were where striker run the channels and the players are number ten so they're not through that period of growth, so they're not physically having to cover as much ground or there's there's different things we can do, but they're gonna be developing. They're gonna be changing as kids. They're gonna be growing. They're gonna be testing boundaries. It might be the identity is gonna be a big thing for them and how this who are they themselves? Almost finding themselves, finding themselves in relation to the mates, different peer groups yeah. social stuff. There's lots going on. They're gonna be developing. They're gonna be developing as players. So as that stuff's happening and, and the, uh, uh, as they grow and mature, then they're gonna be able to make clearer decisions and they're gonna be able to see space and. and um, articulate some of that stuff more. Um, they're gonna, do, they're gonna do, and because of that, they'll be ready for some tactical bits. But that they might not be ready for the team strategy stuff straight away. Yeah. But understanding the role to get away from a defender or to take the defender one way to go another way. Those sort of mini tactics, if you like, we, we need to help them with that, with with them without the ball, in and out possession. Um, but ultimately, I think the experience will be what defines their what they get from, from sport and from football and it needs to be inclusive in in that meaning that kids need to be able to be themselves mm. as kids and as as players that they, that they can feel and, and be valued for being themselves it's, it's crucial um, across all four corners it's really crucial so we've got a real role of playing that to do that I guess the environment's still key I say still, it's, it's Gareth Savke talks a lot about that for the, and, and Phil Neville's recently talked loads about that around the national teams, the senior teams, around environment being crucial. And Pete's talked about it for years, as lots I of other people have, I yeah. will do tonight, about the importance of the environment for, for the youngest kids, but it's still really important for the 12 to 16 year olds that, to be able to play and practice. And, in a really positive environment where they can take risks, they can challenge, they can be themselves, they can, um, they can learn, they can explore. It's it's vital for them with the right and with a big part of that support and challenge in the right amount. Mm. Uh, we need the right diet of like play, practice, and the competition, the right variety and and, and formats of competition. Um, but they've got to develop as individuals so yes they're playing we want to help them understand their role in the team and be good team players but we need to help them develop as individuals um, as people and players and focus on that and not be too not not that the team is not important not saying that but not be totally team oriented too soon that then we need to help them because we don't know where they're going to go we don't know what the rest of their journey is going to be we don't know what position they're going to play we don't know how they're gonna we don't know what they might turn into if that um so we just need to help them develop and 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 grow and, um, But wrap round somewhere, especially in this age group, I think. Well, we do really need a shift of playing with playing freedom. Mm. That they've got the that we we don't just uh, put limitations on the kids in terms of the way they play. That defenders just get rid of it because we're playing v eleven and it's serious. And defenders, of the ball's coming in the end instead of heading out for a, a corner or, a, or 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 a throw, and that they bring it down and play. And yeah. Um, goalies can play out across different ranges and different types of passes. Some players as centre backs, and I drop it into a, a wide player, uh, dropping it in the striker, the number tens, chest, or, so all still playing out. But it's it's with with idea and care, and quality, and um, and all around the pitch. So we've got this idea of the kids do things with the ball, can experiment, explore. Um, make good decisions but not boring safe decisions that just pass back up, play safe that they can test the boundaries in the game and take people on and play passes past people and yeah. um, play passes around the corner and um, over and around and um, and have that type of feeling and mindset that there's some intelligence and some um, like curiosity in, in the game it's vital for them you know, too often we'll just say pass 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 yeah. and everyone's anxious and Ball goes, then comes back, and, and then they lose and run back. It just becomes like this game of running and tackling, and which is all really important because we need to develop that. that Any time someone does give it away, there's a real hunger to go and get it back, and we need to help them. Similar to what we're talking about in possession, we need to help them as the thing, as the first defender if they're closing down. How we need before we teach them how to play in a four-three-three, for example. In, in a way, they need to be able to close down and understand to get there really quick and slow down and mm. and and then if they're doing that what's the mate do. Um so some of the principles are on defend and when it will conf with all the modern trends and we we'll can't forget about some of the core. No. And it's not that we should all just do that and then again that's but we need to just help them with the game and um so they've got that in them, they've got that feeling of um feeling of football I guess and
0: Yeah, uh, it goes goes back to what you were saying before about um not reinventing the wheel and respecting the good stuff of the past. I know you've been digging through a few old books recently, and I I picked up a, a really good one. It was I, was I found it free online. It was, um, I'm going to butcher the guy's name here, but you know who I'm talking about. Is it Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi, he, who coined the concept of flow? Right, okay. But there, I found a book that he'd written, I think, in the early 80s, around... Uh, Adolescence and the teenage brain, and, right, okay. and it is just gold dust, and it's yeah. just written in in, a, in simple to understand language, which is great for me.
1: Yeah,
0: and uh, I got absolutely loads. But what he's are saying there in the in the early '80s
1: is still relevant
0: to today in yeah. terms of
1: that. Just I think what happens sometimes is some subtle bits change, some of the details yeah. change, and not just with that with football as well, or some of the way things are employed change, or some of the time, but some of the principles all there we'll just learn, maybe learn a bit more about them like TGFU and mm. Constraints yeah. and, um, there's lots of things that have been there it's, it's, there's a train of thought that's been going for a while it just maybe re- refine it and revise. it so it's important to stay current absolutely So, yeah. but it's just understanding where things come from and respecting the past and the principles that um, the game's the game's been the game for, for a long time it's, there's some principles to the game the principles of play around penetration and creating space and Movement and support. That, that's, that's 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 football. That's yeah, that's, that's going to be there. But then how that how do individuals do it and how do, how, how do we how help them do it and what then what that then means in the team, and how what different systems then that might change. But some of the principles of understand um, if you understand how to create space for yourself, and how to create space for others as a principle, then regardless of what team shape you're then in, and then you'll be able to figure some of that out. Um, so yeah, just understanding what are the, some of the key things and
0: yeah. So you you said about going to see Craig Simmons and and Simo and spent all that time with him and he said about bettering yourself. Yeah. In terms of getting the most out of this process, so what what's different about you now than eighteen months ago when you when you started putting this this thing together?
1: Um, what's different?
0: What have you learnt about yourself?
1: I learned. I think um it's been a tough it's been a tough it's a tough it's been a tough project to 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 work on. In a great way, really, really challenging. So just put like perseverance and um being willing to um do how well, I'm not sure I've learned about that but that's been quite a um some of the ideas some probably confidence in idea runs stuff past people and thinking Do you want, yeah i I'm not saying it's right, but there's a lot of, there's other people on the same train of thought and um and then just some area gaps in knowledge around especially around child i say child development people adolescent development around who are the kids what are they, what are they actually going through, and then what does that mean in football mm. um and then what's really right for them and um just, just, just some of the, some, of the, and then actually having the time to really consider it and think and check and challenge and having to present to yourselves. So I, I presented to, to the grassroots coach development team. I presented to all staff technical division. I mm. presented to our mentors a couple of times. Presented to the pro game staff. Some of them at the FA um, is just it. It's. I think someone's just gotta commit to some ideas and some thinking and, and I'm not saying it's all gonna be right or it's gonna all gonna be new and no. just and then trying to um the process of trying to gather so it's not it's not like it's not my it's not my DNA, it's ours. Really the FA and the game, it's this is yeah. what we think's some things are consider when we work in this age group and, and that process takes time I think to do it. Um at the check-in challenge and to um, maybe overly overly conservative at times not conservative but yeah I think all that stuff has been what, what has helped me learn mm. um, to say like I've learned one or two things I think it's I quite hard to answer that but I, I think just the, I think one of the challenges for all of us is that the reflection and growth is is vital and Craig's thinking about becoming better so there's loads of different areas like loads of different communication um, planning uh pro- like project management yeah all those types of sc- they are the skills you need to do this i guess and I'm just get better at all that stuff
0: and and this isn't it's this is just the start it's not the end is it it's you know no that, that's the um, idea yeah so I mean, is the
1: is the idea that you're going
0: to kind of do a, a similar thing to Pete and a little road show Yeah so I don't i have done
1: 6 or 7 CPD events now so yeah. I'll, I'll do some more um like I say we will just hopefully get some stuff online in July some content um but then a, bit, a lot of it's feedback of what's, value, what's valuable for people. Yeah. Um, so coaches are often have, in a slightly different place in this age group compared to the foundation phase. But yeah. Often they've either, they've either coached in this age group a while and stayed coaching um, in this age group, say like yourself, where you it's not you, or um, say parents are taking the team through. Yeah. So although they're new to this age group, they've coached they've coached for a few years now so um, it's just trying to figure out what do people what's valuable for people because that's what the whole thing's about really yeah. if, how do we how do we help coaches and how do us as coaches best help the kids that we coach and I guess when this
0: stuff starts to come out you know I know how active you are and how kind of approachable you are it's I guess it's just a open door policy totally stuff
1: that works that doesn't work there'll be things in the, what I've said today that people Agree with, disagree with. Um, there'll be some things on reflection even now that are clear about, not so clear about. Um, some things might need videos. Like some of the stuff I'm receiving might need videos. So just almost that thing of um, my role, I guess, in this is trying to gather our thoughts and, and like I've said it a couple of times, to try and help us as a collective help players. And so there'll be lots of ideas out there. There'll be loads of things. There'll be things we've missed. There'll be things that. Um, it's very much a work in progress, but I do believe in the principles. Mm. I do believe in some of the, the ethos. I'm um, totally not say well, what I'm saying. Is it's certainly it's, you know, a lot of that. It, it's not from me, it's from loads and loads of people that have been working on this stuff for yeah. a lot a lot of time. You mentioned we've talked about some people like John Allpress, Paul Holder, um, influencers like Tony Carr, I've spoke with people at clubs, um, actually, yourself and other people across the FA of, it's um, hopefully just a reflection of all that I guess has been that that's it's and like you say it's, it's, it's a continuation of, as much as anything of some mm. of the, just then there's that much stuff at times that's almost just a, a, an attempt at getting not back that's the wrong word but re, like refocus, strip back you know? to what's important yeah, yeah what's mm. really important some of the things aren't new but I would encourage people just to really consider it. So loving the ball, loving the game. Get to know the people that you coach. Who are they What's the context? What do they need from you as a coach? Who, who do they need you to be? Um, and then deciding how best to help them. What practices? What do they need to focus on the learning? What practices? Hopefully game based. Mm. Especially if you want to get them once a week, probably a lot of game time. Um, it's still really important. It's been important for for, for a while, and Absolutely. it's still important now. So so what, what you said July have you got any well, kind of start of July like start of the, July go, the content will be in the boot room
0: and it'll go straight onto the boot room and put as part of uh, yeah fa.com yeah, slash learning be, isn't it
1: yeah and there'll be a little bit there'll be a little um, a little tab section thing but um, that'll be communicating on how best to get on there great um, you're anyways, excited aren't you yeah it's been it's been There's quite a bit quite a bit of stuff waiting just for the website and all that so yeah it's it's been a good bit of work yeah
0: having had a bit of a sneak preview of some of the content that you put together I'm I'm really excited about seeing it
1: out there open to the to the mass been good fun yeah great you you can't call it work really nah (laughs) Um, anything that we've
0: not we've not discussed or not touched on in your notes
1: no 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 I think we're waffle all day really don't you? We, could,
0: we could see all day but we've got to go and see uh, see Pete work his magic when we now it's about 20 past 5 quarter past 5 so
1: yeah yeah. Graham, thanks for having me I hope you enjoyed and it if you're still here with us at this point <laughs> I don't know how thank you very much anyway,
0: I knew all I had to do was wind you up and let you go so, thanks Thanks very much for coming in mate I really enjoyed it and it was going to be good to spend um spend a few more hours with you tonight looking at looking at Pete looking at the master yeah
1: thanks mate cheers man thanks cheers
0: thanks for listening if you enjoyed the show please help spread the word or leave us a review on iTunes I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode you can reach me on Twitter at jackwalton 1 and don't forget to follow Liverpool FA at Liverpool underscore CFA see you next time